0: Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered
1: by Bet Welcome to the deep dive. And back at home after a week abroad. Uh on the East Coast, I guess. Uh not abroad, but out of California. <laughs> yes. Out of California into the other part of our country. Um, you know, the Kentucky Derby came. I lost a bunch of money, had to come back to work today, put in a little bit of the grind uh try to try to pay the bills here uh because it's not coming with the horse paydays even though that was a um uh that was a wild race wild result uh but we will save some reflections for that for another time uh much more excited to talk about today's topic and introduce our guest um this is a a very very well respected mind in the sports gambling landscape oh yes 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 oh yes um, and the, uh, represented here by the, uh, the mascot of the Okayama seagulls, uh, of course, Japan's most, um, uh, what, One of their profitable, best, most profitable, one of the, the best stories in the second season. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> yeah.
1: So, uh, without further ado, uh, first ever guest on the deep dive, but a guy who is exactly in our wheelhouse when it comes to, uh, attacking the problem of solving handicapping via modeling none other than mr abnormally distributed how are we doing tonight
2: oh great thank you for all the lies that you just told about me they're very nice (laughs) of you to say um you know respected all those things but yeah yeah it's awesome uh long time listener first time
0: caller raise up that works that works works, yeah, yeah we were we originally got to get we were gonna do like a I can't remember if it was NASCAR. We, I think we said, "Hey, we should do a NASCAR talk," and then it would turned into, "Hey, we could do some F1," and then finally, it's like, "I don't really give a shit about any of that." Like, can we just talk about general modeling data or whatever else? And I think that's finally what we landed on because it's not like there's a good NASCAR race this week.
2: No, and actually, last week we hit both winners too, so it could have been
1: a good touting <laughs> podcast. Right?
0: God damn it. <laughs> I guess,
1: yeah, missed opportunities. Although, instead, we fired missiles into the sun and the Kentucky Derby, but that's okay.
0: I, I, I hit a golf outright, Drew. I had Homa.
1: You, you had Homa? Ooh, oh, the four horsemen mm-hmm. I saw. You guys are absolutely dominating. 2020 Homa. year is the year for the four horsemen so far. Homa um, almost
0: nice to pay for some of my horse de- debt.
1: Yeah, but let's give the let's give the people a little bit of indication. Um, I don't want to cover a lot of ground that you covered on other well-respected podcasts. Absolutely love the interview that you did with uh, uh, our buddy Rob Pizzola and the uh, Circles Off guys. Um, But, um, you know, you have an unbelievable background and some incredible stories. Um, But as you sit here today and you look at the sports betting landscape, um, I'm just curious, you, you are largely playing for just the joy of, uh, of sports betting, really and try, trying to solve a problem, trying to crack, um, you know, any given sport at this point in time, uh, and, uh, you know, on the side, you're just, uh, betting into golf mart, you know, major golf markets, obviously, uh, you know, super liquid pools, like, uh, you know, what, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning when it comes to, um, you know, beating the book? Oh you know
2: money is nice but um you know i think sometimes when you start doing the same thing over and over and over again it gets very repetitive so like when you approach a new golf week it's like oh well this is the 17th time we're playing at this course not much has changed and it becomes very sort of rote and boring so i think sometimes you know like looking at new sports or looking at new data that you haven't looked before is kind of a nice you know puzzle solving type problem so that's why um I think on the whole golf, I guess now it's golf Discord, not golf Slack. And they like, just come with like random sports and try to solve them. So, like, Okayama Seagulls was a, a nice team for us in volleyball. Um, but yeah, those markets are kind of interesting because, you know, when you're dealing with like MLB or golf, you have a lot of data. And now, if you're trying to model Japanese women's volleyball, you have very little data. And trying to go from something where you have little data and make sense of it. think is an interesting challenge um versus like baseball you can get like all the spin you can get so many different variables about each pitch that's like sometimes it's too much overload you know type thing so yeah i think there is some intellectually nice things about trying to solve weird sports with you know low limits which unfortunately sucks because then you know you spend so much time and it's like oh you get twenty dollars of eb per bet.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of all the different weird ones you've done. Definitely, snooker's been fun, I think. And it's funny how you you talk about how it's fun or like let's just say, and I'll paraphrase, intellectually stimulating to go look oh. at new sets of data and new sports. For me, it's like shit. AD is betting a new sport, and it's it's like 10 in the morning. I'm not going to not bet on this sport with the guys in the Slack chat, which is now a Discord chat, as we've mentioned, which I'm not happy about. But it's it's forced me to learn the rules because it's like, shit, I don't know how snooker works. Like, there's all these different colored balls and like even darts. It's like I – generally understand it but i didn't understand the double out and stuff and surfing i didn't even attempt to figure out well the way it works is you
1: bet what he posts and then you check your account and see if it's greater and lost am i missing something those are the rules i don't know
0: (laughs) but the fact is like a lot of the darts there was like streams you could watch it and there's Hmm. some so like golf golf is very exciting golf is not very exciting on a thursday morning even though we have good streams there's a lot of sports I love that are very not exciting at big chunks of time Darts is electric like we need to we need to I don't know if the US crowd would ever love it but like for some reason people who go to darts tournaments, matches, whatever you call them they're just drunk and excited so I did enjoy watching darts a little bit of snooker surfing someone brings up and I'm trying to think of what else there was besides volleyball that might have been that might have been the gist of it.
2: Yeah, with the darts it's really interesting because it's like at the core it's a very boring sport but like they do a really really good job in their presentation i mean they got like drone shots going music blasting non-stop the crowd going crazy and i'm like this shouldn't be exciting but for some reason i'm like you know screaming 180 you know all these crazy things it's like i oh, they do a really good job with
0: that yeah, it's point. literally a sport you can go to any like corner bar and just play for a dollar 25 and like, the, yeah, there's leagues all over, but I did enjoy it. I enjoyed darts a lot. And that was the biggest uh, question I think probably a lot of people had. It's like, and, you know, obviously don't give away anything. You don't want to give away. But was that was that the biggest challenge with some of this stuff, was finding some of that data to use? Not so much even to just start to build what you thought, but, I mean, to backtest. How far back are you able to find data on some of these sports? And I think is it just a case of I'm just a stupid American who doesn't realize that like there's gobs of data on this because cricket, darts, snooker, all this is way more popular than anybody over here would believe.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because like the first time I actually looked at it, I just had like basic uh, leg data, which is like the individual points. So it's like, oh, you won um, three to two, and something like this. Then, uh, you know, one day I was just looking at sports radar, which is you know that big data source company that provides data for everything and apparently they probably do shot by shot data for darts and if you just go to their website you can sort of like reverse engineer the files and you can just go get the darts data for like the last 10 years and it's also interesting because they also include like opening and closing lines Um, some of the bigger events they include like um where they're throwing it at so like if they're trying to aim at something they have sort of a I don't know how they do it. Like some visual thing that like they were aiming at the 20, but they actually hit the 12 or something like that. So like just finding that. And then once I found this, I was like, wow, this is a lot of data. Now Treasure it's more interesting. Trials, yeah.
0: What's okay, the so, thing in the, what's the thing in the NFL called Drew? The, like the next gen data. Yeah. It's it like next, yeah. next gen, next gen stats, stats for, for darts. darts. Like yeah. they're using like some sort of uh you know a shitload of the spider cams to figure out where he's aiming
1: okay so is it is so is your workflow then finding an interesting data set and then cracking a sport or the other way around like this would be a fun sport to crack let's see what's out there and then you just sometimes stumble into a treasure trove like that because i for me my tennis handicapping life revolves around stumbling on tennis abstract If I had not ever done that, I don't know that I would be betting tennis right now. But it is what it is. Uh, You know, is what's the what's the general workflow? And I guess how much does understanding um, like how an average person would be an architect for a data repository, like help you crack the what is there? Yeah, I think because you brought up
2: tennis, that was one of the sports like I'm always interested in, and it seems like for something that is so big, the fact that you just have like serve percentage, return percentage, and maybe like double fault, like the amount of data gets so low. And then I look at tennis abstract and you have people that are literally spending time to chart each match. And I'm just like, wow, that's, you know, if I was heavy into doing tennis, you'd probably have to hire someone to get that type of data. But like, yeah, the fact that a sport that's so big doesn't have something like that seems really interesting. But yeah, it's sort of like, um, where could you, you know, first thing I always try to look is like, I think try to understand the game first in the sense of like you want to collect relevant data right you don't want to just collect any data because you can because i think if you collect too much data that's unrelevant you start to introduce like a lot of noise into your model and things like that so trying to maybe just understand like what is really really important about the game um it's probably the first step and then once then try to find data that you think would be useful for you and of course like you know any extra data you just dump in the database right and just stays there forever
1: that's fascinating, and it's not anything that I'd expected you would say. I thought I figured you were basically like, ah, "Who needs domain knowledge? I'll just, mm-hmm. I'll, you know, I'll crack this." But you basically you don't need domain expertise, but you do need some general knowledge to help get you help shortcut your process. Is that fair to say? And I think it's it's a
2: mix between the two. It's like, um, you know, you want to sort of um, I think modeling is not a substitute for intuition, but it's sort of a complement to each other. So like okay. I think data-driven models or just some expert knowledge like the eye test you know i watch tennis and i follow and i understand it right like i think a combination of that domain knowledge and some data-driven analysis is really the key instead of like just being like oh i'm just clicking you know a a button and running a model and i don't know what it means but it's making me some money maybe
0: Seems to be the answer to almost everything as we've talked to some smart people on here and behind the scenes, like just nothing is ever black and white. And A lot of people have anyone with like a black and white opinion about any of this. It's usually wrong. It feels like, like that. That's a good point. well, Because, you know, if you look at that as a spectrum, you have like the eye test and then you have like full ass green lumber fallacy where like somebody's just black boxing something, not understanding a sport. Like Andy's saying, it's having some, like you said, domain knowledge, maybe not complete domain expertise, it's probably pretty important for helping you put context to some of the data you're finding because quality data becomes shitty data if you use it wrong. I mean, that's that's kind of, I think we've seen that with some people we know that have done some some sure. things with some, I mean, just some real, let's, let's not dog on anybody, some real front facing people at some major networks honestly that i've seen so sure some the nfl is a great example like you see some really poor contests put to some data and stats and it's like oh this this sucks it's like this is on like the nfl network because you guys look stupid <laughs> <laughs> i started that sentence like let's not pick on anybody
1: let's pick not pick anymore. anyone but got, the nfl network the can go fuck themselves but by, um, by the no. time i
0: get to the end there i kind of had hadn't
1: i <laughs> no well, i think the microsoft
2: model for tennis right Oh, I think someone man. does that anytime. time. Well, uh, IBM. IBM. Major. That was watched. IBM
1: is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 The, the, you can sleep easy. The computers are not coming for us if that's <laughs> the best they can do. Yes.
0: <laughs> a deep blue figured out chess, but. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: was a, a great, com- great, 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 com- great uh, comment. Um, okay. So uh, if um, if the problem starts with. Um, yeah, I guess what if you start if you start to solve a problem and you have you know, step one is I'm going to get a little bit of a domain knowledge, you know, here so that I can then figure out what's useful uh, in terms of compiling data. Um, Do you, are you always thinking about either top down or, or bottom up for a team level sport like volleyball? Like, I need to know what player level, you know, impact, you know, is for these teams, because, you know, Somebody gets traded or somebody, uh, you know, gets injured. I need to be able to capture that on the fly. I don't want to have my pants down using some top-level team data that may be useless. Is Are you traditionally trying to go bottom-up with any type of building out of a model for sports betting?
2: Yeah, so usually trying to do the players and then to the team. But sometimes, like, the data you get is very limited. So if we're using volleyball, for example, there's actually decently sized volleyball leagues with, like, you get $1,000 down on it. It's usually champions league, which I guess is like the top tier of volleyball in Europe. I'm probably wrong, but it seems like that's the, the top tier. And like, you can go to their website and they have like, you know, shot by shot player stats. It has a lot of like in-depth things. And then you might get like Japanese volleyball, which for some reason, like uh bookmaker offers. It. And so there's a for some reason, like a lot of books seem to offer the Asian volleyball, but like there, you only get team level data. So it's very hard to you know i'm not watching in the games obviously it's not that interesting but um so yeah those approach take more like you know a power ranking or a team type thing and yeah they're more sort of um i think subject to those issues so the reason we have the Okayama thing is um they were like the worst team in japanese women's volleyball and they were missing like three players for a long time and then they did a transfer like one of the top players in the league so like i think the books and whoever was just setting it as like you know a team-based thing like this team sucks and every game was like plus 600, plus 600, plus 600. And then they rallied off like six or seven wins in a row against like the top five seeds, you know? Like, so I think that's an instance there where like the player level data, even though I didn't know the, the impact of each individual player, I knew adding these players was going to change their team sort of ranking. Um, but I couldn't really quantify it and be like, oh, okay, well, adding this player is worth X percent on the money line against this team. But it was one of those things where it's like, okay, my team model is saying this line is fair, but then I know these people who actually should produce an improvement for the team, therefore, you know, I'll bet it. And it's one of those things like I can't quantify and be like, oh, you have a 3% edge on the line here. It's just like, I think it's fair when they don't have these players and these players are better and the $250 limit, $500 limit, so who cares, you know, like type thing.
0: It's kind of where you have to take a little bit of a leap there because like you said, there's no you just don't have the data to show what this volleyball player from a different country is worth to the line. But if you were, if you're saying, I think this line is fair and they're worth something. And I guess you just have to assume they're worth more than the overround and you can beat the vig because the the edge is slightly there. And that kind of leads me a a couple of things have led me to to a podcast. We did a last year, this time ish. Because you brought up sports radar and it made me think of the matthew trenhale episode because he used to work there at least i'm not sure where he is now he's all over the place but it got me thinking about when we talked about tennis origination and like eastern europe like is that something that's important to you on some of these and i know like it's not tennis like tennis limits are good depending on what you know how many outs you can end up with obviously women's volleyball like you're saying the limits aren't great but maybe pretend they are does that matter to you figuring out where these markets are being originated and what kind of forces are moving in and out of them even possibly before or after you bet into it
2: yeah it's interesting because like um you know for the league that i mentioned that has the higher limits you can definitely see like a lot of movement at certain times when the limits are raised so obviously there's people that are paying attention to those markets and betting them but like it seems like a lot of the um the weird markets i feel like they're set by just power rankings because when you look you see like weird money lines like plus three six six but then you see like seven teams at plus three six six and it makes me think they're using just some you know power ranking system and just putting them together and just doing that which makes yeah. it seem like it should be exploitable but then at the same time like you don't have the data to do those types of things so i feel like they're probably using like some odd service that is just setting it as you know, something, and then, you know, the coincidence that you see the same money line over and over and over and over again, it makes me think that it's some automated basic procedure that's not really caring that much about it. And it's more like, hey, we wanna make sure we have customers in this market. So we'll offer like, you know, level two soccer of Argentina because we're trying to really heavily get into the Argentinian market, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And take have that you- as like a loss leader. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Have you tested if it's as simple as like, hey, this team is two wins above 500 and this team is one win below, so put plus three, six, six. <laughs> is it like yeah, that? Yeah, I think like basic? Um, uh,
2: when it started, like when two plus two was forum, um, we were trying to solve snooker like a couple years ago and we noticed the same thing and we were just like reverse engineered it because we had like enough of the lines and the data and it was literally uh-huh. something like how many wins this person has in the last 20 <laughs> and how many wins the other person has last. And that's what this book was setting the lines like that and it was like, that seems really exploitable, but the problem is like we had no idea how to do it better because we didn't have any data.
1: <laughs> those of us in the biz like call that a heat index. Yeah, you know, we're using the heat yeah. index here. <laughs> last, well, it sounds like you know, it's like how you board.
0: how you figure your golf handicap for the duffers around there. Like just gonna take an average of your last twenty wins and and give you some sort of power ranking and build the lines off that. That's funny. I'm and it's probably honestly how far off can those really be? I and mean, obviously people are finding edges, but
1: yeah let me ask you a little bit about player level stuff about the nba and if you want to steer the clear conversation back towards volleyball that's fine too yeah, but i love the nba um, i know yeah and this is like a great great example of how like modeling has evolved like even recently like it is still evolving in terms of how people are going about coming up with a fair for nba um and I know you are, you are, you know, pulling. Pray for our Grizzlies that they can, okay. you know, that they can hold on, hold, hold the line. While jaws gone, but um, you were way out ahead on them. Uh, and you know, a team like that where so many players made. A leap that was somewhat predictable in hindsight. Like, am I am I suffering from hindsight bias, looking back and being like, God damn, how did I not have that you know, these most important players were all on the upswing in terms of, you know, career progression curves. And it was pretty clear now that you have data to look back on, um, you know, and and I guess what is am I explaining in some way, shape, or form why you were a little bit high on the grizz? Cause of just how you were projecting those players to improve from last season to this season?
2: Yeah. So it's sort of the same thing. Like last year, I was really big on the Suns and everyone kind of here on the Suns this year. I know. And hopefully I know you're a little scared. Um, I think a lot of times like so where it was really interesting because like if you watch the um, whatever the COVID games, like the Suns dominated. I think they went like 10 and one or something crazy in the in the bubble. Right. And uh, it's sort of like. And then they, I think they opened like 80 to one or 101 to win the West. And obviously that was like, cause of LeBron. So I think with like these n- smaller teams, which are like on the upswing and said like a lot of youth, I think really heavily focusing like on the last fourth of the year has been sort of really useful in the sense of like, you know, if you look at the Grizzlies last year, I think they finished kind of strong. And the idea is, well, this throughout the year they got much better. And the hope is that they keep this core together they'll get much better. So I think it's one of those, you know, you're sort of like maybe over-projecting based off a little bit at the end of the season. But then sort of the bad thing that happened was, I think after I placed the the Memphis bets, they went and traded like half their team away. Did uh, <laughs> not look very smart at the time. You know, because they, well, they traded Jonas and uh, someone else too. And it's like, oh, that's not really good. So I think like those teams... Well, they got the that, mighty
1: Steven Adams back. Yeah.
2: yeah, that was, and that's the thing, because you think like Steven Adams, like, Um, at this point in his career, he's kind of like a journeyman guy, but then it's like, is he bringing the, you know, the veteran, you you know, thing to get this team in line? It's like, how do you even quantify something like that? That like, you know, Steven Adams has been around for a really long time. You got all these young players, maybe do this type of thing. So yeah, I feel like with those teams, I've been betting them a lot. Like in baseball last year, I was really big on the Giants because I think they closed really well. So like, I try to always look for teams that perform well at the end of the season who then seem to be underrated because they had a really horrible year or an average year?
1: Okay, let me ask you a quick follow-up because those examples you just pulled are classic. Like I've been doing this long enough that my mental model told me what to bet, irrespective of any type of advanced analytics. Am I crazy?
2: No, no. Yeah, I mean, I have
1: like player projections, you know, that I do.
2: But this was more of a I was betting Memphis a lot at the end of the season. And I think they're going to be undervalued next year because they were undervalued at the end of the season. So I'm just going to jam it. Same thing. I was betting the Suns in the bubble and I think they covered like every game. Yeah. And I thought the market was undervaluing them. So I'm assuming they would be undervalued in the futures market. So like yeah. without even setting a line, cause I'm betting these before the, even the like,
1: Got you know, it.
2: draft happens. And so you don't something even like know what the Suns
1: gonna 80 to one, you can, mental model tells you, Hey, that's value. If if fair is 40 to one or 25 to one or 33, I don't give a shit. Like get me as much suns, 80 to one as I can get. Um, Is that sort of the philosophy on some, something in the futures market in terms of staking a position or are you more like, okay, well actually let me figure out what the fair price ought to be. And I'm going to stake this Kelly or something like that. What do you, which, which is closer?
2: um, Probably both. Like, you know, I have some people that, teams like uh really big on the Phillies this year they suck really bad and it's like damn I should have bet them you know now because I would have got much better odds but like that was more of a math model thing and because I just assumed the Mets would suck being a Mets fan you know that like even though (laughs) that
0: my model said
2: like the Mets are going to be decent this year I was still like yeah I don't trust it because every year it says they're gonna be decent but yeah I think that's one of those things too also like when you make those sort of bets on those teams like the Suns Memphis Giants like don't really expect them to win the West and it's more like get them into the playoffs and then maybe you could sort of see some way to optimize, you know, and get money out of this. Right. So like you're holding five or six sons, 80 to one to win the West tickets and they get to the playoffs. It's sort of like, how can I hedge? And maybe turn this into like a 12 to one type thing. But then of course, when they get there, you're like, huh, this might happen. I don't want to hedge. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then they're playing the Lakers. and I was like, I should probably, cause the Lakers are like number one, obviously. And then uh, AD gets injured. And I'm like, okay, we're just going to keep riding this, right, like type thing. And so they went Memphis, like, um, I was – I think I said like two months ago, like the worst matchup they could have is the Timberwolves because um, they can't defend the Timberwolves. And, of course, they can't defend the Timberwolves, but they just luck out because they win – you know, they go crazy in the fourth quarter every time. But, like, that's one of the things I like, probably should have hedged because the math said, like, this is not good. Okay. But
1: okay.
2: you had a good basketball year. i holding a 61 ticket. With, you know, I mean, just let it okay. ride.
0: What about, and then, you know, you talk about, you get a bunch of Suns exposure, you get a bunch of Memphis exposure. You have, you know, two months worth of playoffs here. You can work your way out of it if you really want to, if you think the opportunity is right or play it. And then also, you know, the amount you can get down on some of those is decent because everybody offers it and everyone, especially if you find, uh, you know, if, it, if, you, if it's not just a rogue number, if it's a consensus number that, you think is off but golf some of your long shots on golf and i hate to ever dog on a company like this because i love them but some of your long shots on golf just come from a, a certain book sometimes it just tries to keep the hold very low and it ends up having some bigger numbers on some longer uh, some longer golfers and that's not a case where you can you know hedge out of that stuff hedging out of golfing would Probably, I mean, the only way to really do that outside of your guys in a two two way playoff is on the exchanges. If somebody were to end up towards the top of the leaderboard, so what's the philosophy on just the, you know the deep deep long shots? It's just straight up math stuff with golf.
2: Yeah, it's a, interesting because there's no, I mean, there is some live golf betting markets, but the limits are ridiculously low. It's not worth yeah. it, you know. So it's like you can't really hedge out. And it's one of those weird things where like if I had access to more top twenty markets because. I mean, most of the top 20 markets are offered by books that would limit you or take very low sure. these would obviously be top 20 bets so it's more like oh i just want to make sure that i get some of this and i've actually been thinking about this recently in this idea that like is it better if you have value on these like 201 so like we're really big on chad ramey i think he was 225 or 250 to one yeah. and then he rolls into round three or round two or something and he's like 20 to one it's like is it worth just taking him at the lower odds or you know, the thrill of having the 250 to one ticket is nice, but yeah, those things don't really ever cash and you can't cash out or hedge. So I guess the good thing is they have lower limits. So, I mean, if you put like a hundred dollars down, you can get $25,000 if you're lucky. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I think historically maybe one, I did have the Jim Herman, 600. To I was one, just going nice. to say like yeah. every
0: <laughs> once in a while, the Hermanator comes through like yes. it, it, shit, shit happens, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where if you had bigger limits on top 20s if it wasn't just all at recreational books where if you were maxing top 20s and profiting you'd you'd run into problems pretty quick there but that's interesting that you know you think about it like bookmaker well, yeah. bookmaker has futures bookmaker has matchups and bookmaker has round matchups like that's it and for yeah, a reason like the top 20 markets are all all at you know more recreational places
1: if you're a book and you're paying in prices you are you pay almost no like actual consequence for being real bad at the real long shots because they happen so infrequently like it's there's what 60 golf tournaments a year that you can get a decent liquidity down on the winner is that about right
2: yeah i think like between euro and yeah
1: between PGA. euro and pga it's like 60 65 75 right so if you have somebody who should win one out of a hundred times and he's priced one out of 600 times like that still is only happening like every other year right and you know i, I just i don't i just don't know that they the frequency uh ultimately makes forces them to be correct
2: and normally what happens too is this happens a lot on the euro tour Is a lot of guys come up to the challenge tour and there's not a lot of data on this. Um, And you can find guys who are 200 to one and they're top fiving. And then the next week, they're 100 to one, top five. Um, Oliver Becker is a golfer and he's sort of a good case of this. We were betting him at like, I think the first time I bet him 500 to one, then 200 to one, and 100 to one, and 100 to one, and 80 to one. And now he's going off at 20 to one. And like, he's gotten, I don't know, like seven or eight top 20s and maybe, like, five top fives in, like, the last, you know, this year. And it's like, oh, well, I recognize this guy's good, but, like, I couldn't cash anything because you don't have any top 20s for Euro. You know, you don't have top 10s for Euro that are widely accessible. And it's like, well, that sucks. I did all this work. I identified a guy who's going to break out. And it's like, but because he lost a playoff or because he missed a putt, eh, now go bet him a 20 to 1 next week, right? It's like, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, that's
0: tilting. That's <laughs> tilting. Yeah. it's kind of the funny part about golf results, like – I'm not saying he'd be 30 to 1 this week or something but if Keegan doesn't full-ass Keegan yesterday like he's 125 to 1 this week like there's there's so much weird perception around winning a golf tournament rather than getting like second or third a lot of these guys who end up in the top 5 or top 10 consistently it seems like it just gets forgotten quickly by the market I don't know like Svenson Svensson's been my Canadian hero for a bit as far as top. Tw- That's the nice part about not limit betting in golf. I can bet top 20s, not <laughs> getting too much trouble. I can spread that out. I can go find books that don't even fuck. Like there's if you are not a limit better and you can bet at all the rec books for top 20s, there are some places that have stupid, stupid. Um, like rules, basically not even dead heat. There's ones that they will do dead heat, but they won't split your stake. They'll give you the full stake and just cut your odds by the places. Like you, you can really take advantage if you're betting smaller on golf, because like if you want to get big limits down, even just, I t- I, I'll say bet online takes decent limits on all golf stuff Yeah, for, mm-hmm. for an offshore that offers that sort of stuff. And I mean, but you're going to be subject to all the rules. Like that's dead heat. And like you go over to Bowdog Bavada and they have worse odds, but they, or they don't do dead heat. But if a guy's three to one to top 20, he's going to be two to one there. And you're well, going to pay a- dearly for that. So like there's some, if you, if you want maybe a market to break into golf with, if you're like, shit, it's so hard to hit a outright. Obviously it is uh, not for me. I would say I had home last uh, yesterday. It's super easy guys, but it's, it's, if it's you think that's hard and you don't want to mess with matchups and you're you're not hitting your head on the top of the limits like top 20 top 30 top 40 markets that might be like the the golf prop that you want to get into
1: well let me let me ask you real quick if you're well if you're if you're liquid and if you have a projection on a player that's like um he's being priced like his career earnings this year are going to be a $100,000 but i think his career earnings this year are going to be like half a million dollars, right? Is there any legal anything legally stopping you from like making a deal with that player and being like, "Hey, I'm going to give you a loan of what I think your earnings this year are going to be and you give me blank percent of your earnings this year." You know, I mean, like that's basically what that uh, clown did on the, in the, with the minor leaguers for baseball. That was all legal. Like oh is God. there some way to effectively get, you know, basically buy a stock in an up-and-coming player um
2: in golf i think it's actually no. very common um because the cost of like
0: trying to is make dj tours is really yeah, high yeah people do this true. that's why
1: cuz i'm thinking like you you're tell me you're traveling around europe and you've won nothing like how is that okay this okay. is like
0: when you invent something and then you google it and it's already been invented It's, it's like it's it's still you had a good idea but like it's it's yeah people stake course some
1: of these golfers and they believe horse, in for sure that's what that, that's the terminology for this yeah
0: just it's just like you ever watched what's the back to shooting billiards what was the one with uh tom cruise and paul newman Call oh yeah. color money yeah yeah you, you stake the guy
2: yeah i think it's because um if they're playing those mini tours like first place is like three thousand dollars but then you think they have to travel they get a hotel some of these guys are sleeping in their car and then i think to register for a monday qualifier it's something like 800 to a thousand dollars between you know paying the fees and all the stuff so like that's even to just get you know, and these Monday qualifiers are packed with people and basically you have to run, sun run, you have to like make every birdie and then you get to play in the tournament, which then you need a caddy, which is gonna cost minimum like $2,000. You know, so like these costs get really, really big. And I think, I read some article once that most people on the Corn Ferry Tour, which is like the feeder into the PGA, uh, lose money every year. And only like two or three people actually make money because I mean, first place $100,000, but then, you know, that's that can cover your
0: expenses for the year if you're lucky yeah you gotta you have to win you have to like win one in top five one to be like making it on the corn Ferry and you hear about those guys too where it's like the the Monday qualifiers if anyone's unfamiliar with the Monday qualifier it's a single round of golf to get into the tournament see I think it's almost all it's always just four guys I think that's pretty standard the fact the matter it's like it's one round of golf so there's so many ties like earlier in the year they had a 16 person playoff for like one spot because like it's one round of golf and 16 people tied for fourth so all these and all these assholes had to show back up on Tuesday morning to knowing 15 of them knowing i'm not even playing in the tournament one i think one guy hit a long ass eagle bomb putt to take it on the first hole at least but yeah like like ad said you got to run hotter than the sun to win one of these things and then you're just and then all of a sudden you're just the tiniest fish in a big pond again and you have to play some of the best golf you've played in a long time again for two days to make the cut to even get a check otherwise you've won the qualifier if you miss the cut you don't get any money you've just all you've done is paid for an extra hotel room for four more days
1: oh, that's and you pay
2: your caddy too so yeah.
1: Odd yeah. half brings up a great point. Playing golf after sleeping in the car must be great on the old lumbar yeah. spine. There oh, is God. probably there is probably something to be said about sleeping in your own bed uh, before a golf tournament, you know, or at least in your <laughs> pants. <laughs> before before moving off of golf, real quick. No, um, we're going to name
0: all the guys that live in Texas, quickly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> before moving oh. off of golf. Um, you know, I guess, uh, have you ever... Yeah, Cause you seem, you come across as a guy that consumes a lot of golf content. Some of it, maybe you just enjoy listening to the insanity. Some of it, maybe you are actually gleaning some nuggets. Um, is it a pretty good mix across the stuff you listen to where you're, you're mostly listening to some stuff just to hate listen and some stuff that you're, uh, you know, gleaning information from, or is it a mixed bag? No, I think so.
0: of
2: course always listen to bet sports golf um, Tuesday mornings at 11 a.m. Is that it? <laughs> uh, No, um, but uh, no, actually I do listen to it, but it's interesting. Cause like, you know, sometimes when you do something over and over and over again, I don't know if you guys feel the same Is that, like you get very narrow focus. So like when you approach something new, you take a wide, uh, like, you know, thousand yard view or something like that. And then once you start to see what works, you sort of zoom in, but then you sort of I think develop biases on your own in the sense that like, no, no, I know this, I've done this before, blah, blah, blah. So I think sometimes listening to other people's sort of opinions, um, makes me question things in a sense of like, is this true? Is this, you know I mean? Like sure. sometimes people make claims that like, um, you know, this person does this or this person's really good here and it's good ways to investigate. And I think, you know, to avoid sort of falling into the same trap of, oh, well, it's a new course, just click a button, these are my projections, projections say this, bet this. So yeah, I think it's useful to get um, not po- other views about how people are approaching this course. And a lot of times, you know, it might not change a hundred percent, but maybe I'll be like, you know what? Maybe, um, last week I thought accuracy would be really, really important because it was a really boring course. And it's like in 2008 accuracy mattered. And I was like, then I started listening to some podcasts. I'm like, oh, wait, 2008 was 14 years ago. Like, yeah. You know, so I didn't golf. really, yeah. golf was a
1: different game. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I, did, I was like, You're some that, persimmon drivers.
0: Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: Wearing those hats with the. It was hand, well
0: right? before the carbon would age, I'll tell you that. And what? Yeah. I, I think a good, a good point to go along with that is a place now that I've bet golf for a few years, you know, where I really struggle is in a tournament I did well at last year. What? And I think, well, I think it's the same thing that he's saying. It's like, Oh, I know how this You're one goes. You're too
1: stuck to your priors?
0: Well, I have my notes. I have my projections for the previous year. I go back and look at my notes. I look at my spreadsheet. And I'm like, well, this is how I modeled it out last year. This is how I how I took the course fit and how I how I meshed that with the people, you know, the form. And that's how I decided on it. And I won. I had an outright that won I, I, or, or I ran really hot on matchups. I know how this one's going to go. And then I try, you know, if you just, if you don't, open your mind a little to, you know, maybe the course isn't playing the same because of the conditions or the field is different, or you just, you get stuck in that. I already know what's going to happen. It seems like I've done poor on that. That's something I've tried to improve on. Definitely.
1: I think the tennis calendar is the exact opposite. Like I struggle at the same tournaments every year where I'm just like, this is a noisy tournament just because of where it is on the schedule and the fitness of the players and the conditions being a little wild um okay so is there an example of like a narrative like super narrative um, kind of commentary on any sport golf would be fun just because we're talking about it where you took the data you have in hand you back tested it rigorously and you're like holy shit there's there there's something there there
2: (laughs) Uh, we were talking about the home bed narrative but I think it's not the home bed narrative. I think it's more they grew up in this area and played these courses more. And it's not like 100% for most people, but there are some people who tend to play better when they're closer to home, whether it's the sleep in their own bed thing. But I think it's more so like one example would be um, this Cone Ferry Tour guy, Saheek Degala, which I'm trying to say his name horribly. Um, sure. rookie, rookie guy, and he's from the Southwest, and there was sort of a Cali swing in the beginning of the year, and he crushed. I mean, he was – in contention to win almost every week and then since then he's fallen off the radar and it's kind of like digging deeper i found out like oh well he grew up like five minutes from this course he played this course non-stop right um same thing with like cam smith and the master or was it the players like apparently that's his home course did not know this you know what i mean so these are things that like i don't know how you quantify those things though but i feel like they're okay if i make this guy 20 to 1 and he's 22 to 1 that's thin value but then if it's like okay he played here a lot that might make it like hey i'll bet this thin value whereas i might typically ignore something like that you know like you can't bet every edge it's you know it's impossible like if you go and bet every edge i'd have a card of like 30 golfers and they're all 150 to 1 right type thing i don't know how do you feel with tennis because like i do dfs tennis and the most frustrating thing with me is like understanding when people are actually injured
0: yeah yeah and
2: or if they're just showing up to get a paycheck like they have a sponsor and they need to be there for the sponsor event so they just play round one and then they disappear and it's like how do you consider those things like versus um you know some random weekly tournament versus yeah. like the french open obviously they're not gonna you ask you
1: gotta distribute ask it yeah yeah, you got you need a network of people that all have eyes on what's going Watto, on. Those are waddle questions. You need somebody you need so, someone with eyes catches that sort of thing. And in fact, Andy and I know each other in the first place because we decided among a group of us, like, hey, let's get a chat together and watch tennis. And if you see something, say something. <laughs> and <laughs> like, yeah, it was that was that easy. That's why we use the <laughs> yeah. terrorism <look> slogan. <laughs> 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 Jesus. Not the same. <laughs> um no, but no real real quick on the on the course. So a way to call quantify that for a good example like it sounds to me like you have a parameter that's player um specific like course management score right and if or course manager course management skill score and at some point you're good enough that and you have a good enough team and you're well enough capitalized that you're going to manage every course well just because you know you know if you're if you're you know if you're at the top 10 level like your caddy, your team is going to prepare you well to manage any course. But if you're below that lower, you're coming up, then like the the reps you get at any given course are, very, you know, would give you a very different course management course in, you know, in your backyard compared to places you've never been before. If you don't have that as like an inherent skill. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. I think also too, like um, in golf, sometimes there's different greens and it might exactly. be if you go and play 100 rounds a year on a certain type of putting course yeah you may just prefer that because you've spent more time you know these types of things it's always weird too like um one of the things we always joke about is like on tennis you really need to follow the, the tennis players on instagram or same thing with golf like if you follow the female golfers like you can somehow get information it's like it's not that weird because like uh maybe one example would be um daniel kang she's a female golfer and she's pretty good but she kind of struggled at the end of last year and the first tournament i had made her like 20 or like i think 19 to 1 in the market had her like 25 28 but then like i watched her instagram stories and like she was out there every day like grinding you know and it's like i mean it's value but also like i have a little more confidence that like she's doing something and then but then it's always weird too because then there was another thing where they were going to play golf in hawaii and like five golfers were at the bts concert like in Vegas on Tuesday morning, <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: and it had to be in Hawaii by Wednesday, and it's like, is this an angle that we should fade? And then like all those golfers missed the cut.
0: Yeah. And it's,
2: it's sometimes <laughs> with these like narratives, though, you can yeah. sort of like construct stories even, that like yeah. they were at the BTS concert, that's why they missed the cut, and it's like that cannot be true. You know, I mean, it could just be a coincidence they all missed the cut, but also it and they're could all be good Yeah. It's, it's, no, there's it's not even the
0: trade. It's not even the travel. Period. It was the BTS. Or you know, I, I made I made the and I've brought this up a couple times on the golf shows. I made the a fun DFS lineup I used in a one-off for a for Sea Island when I found out how many people actually just live there all year round. And I did a DFS lineup with only golfers that live there; they have permanent residence there. One of those X made the cut. Like those guys, you know, you can say, "Oh, sleeping in your own bed," or but no, like those guys. Are just happy to be home, I think. It's not like it's it was like, some, you know, really good tournament they all wanted to take down. Like all those, I think Swafford was the only one who made the cut, like Mitchell and uh all the other George guys end up missing it. You end up with some weird narratives. They were, where, uh, yeah. They, yeah, they, were they Partying with their friends, they're partying with their like Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like when These you're home at Thanksgiving. Yeah. But, um, and the, 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 the Greens thing is really interesting too because and it, it does there's a little analog to tennis. And I know we end up with some, you know, there are some really good hardcore players from Spain, but you end up with these, you know, like South American players end up being good clay court players. Cause they grow up playing clay compared to, you know, some of these people that grow up in Northern, you know, they grew up in Canada, they grow up in the Northern us or parts of Europe that don't have as much clay. Like, it's just a thing because it's what you grow up on. And the fact is like the different climates, just even within the U S like these guys that grow up on the West coast POA, or The guys that grow up in the south, uh, the southeast, and they're playing on Bermuda, or even better, they're playing in the off season in southeast United States where the Bermuda's dormant and they're getting to practice on this overseeded Bermuda, which is a whole nother. Like they essentially get two different kinds of greens on the same course throughout the season. Uh, so you see, some of those guys do well on the Florida swing or parts of it where they're it's mm-hmm. like. Bent over seated Bermudas, and I mean, and the same thing ends up with the guys from Australia play some of the sand courses and whatnot. And then, obviously, some guys are just freaks and can play on anything. But there are like people just, hey, this guy's only good on the West Coast, and it's it's because he's like, I people like to bet Xander on the West Coast. It's not like he can't play well elsewhere. He can't win, but
1: yeah, I mean, there's there are probably relative truths in almost every narrative that has legs and lasts. Because if it didn't, then you you know they would they would fizzle out. Like there's and you know the go but the the kind of close the book on the Instagram story handicapping. My favorite tennis one was basically like you remember when Dimitrov was the one seed in Morocco, and oh, then the next week was a Monte Carlo tournament. He lives in Monte Carlo. And his sponsor had like an exhibition match set up for him in Monte Carlo on the Thursday of the Morocco week,
0: which is like the quarterfinals,
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is the quarterfinals. And you're like, oh, I guess Dimash not going to be in the quarterfinal. You know, like it was literally like, I mean, his like he's going to make much more money going home and and you know, and playing in that exhibition than he is going to be competing for this title. Um, and he ended up losing to like a 12 to one Moroccan kid who was thousandth ranked in the world. Do you remember that? I don't know his
0: name. I've never seen him play before. We we bet on both Moroccan kids at like 10 to one money lines.
1: Yeah. 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 So that kind of stuff is real.
2: something to think about too, is that like, it also depends on how much data you have. So like in golf there, you could group courses together and really get like this golfer is a good course fit. And then you could sort of, you don't need those narratives, but like, it's something like an uh, example, uh, NASCAR, um, we're going talking talk about those a little bit is that, um, you know, sometimes these guys come from certain racing backgrounds and those racing backgrounds tend to perform better on certain types of tracks. So like on some tracks, like there was a race at Darlington last week, one of the, you can gain a lot of speed if you race really close to the wall. And people who come from dirt racing backgrounds are used to racing along the wall. So they tend to have advantages at certain courses or certain tracks as a result of whatever background they came from. And this is one of those things, like I think it was last year, um, there was this guy, Josh Berry, and he was new to the Xfinity, but he's like sort of one of those lifer racers that's just grinding the mini circuits and like really, really, really good on short tracks. Like that's his forte. And the books opened them at a hundred to one and he's in like a top car. And that's one of those things like, don't even need to run the model. I had it actually marked on my calendar like a month in advance that like I knew he was going to be in this race I knew he was going to be in this good car and like he had and it just lucked out that like the previous races he crashed so it didn't look like he did yeah and I'm like this is perfect and he ends up winning and it's this is amazing right um so I think there are some like when you have limited data some of those background things which may like I don't have short track data from Wilkesboro, you know, I'm like these random tracks, but like knowing this person is coming in with this pedigree um, and they're in a good car. I mean, that's sort of one of those things that like, even if I have no data on them, I'm like, eh, it looks good. You better type thing. So that's more of a narrative nation type. Situation. Yeah.
0: And just selfishly spinning that back to golf. Like the last two weeks have been a good example of a lot of people have struggled to figure out exactly how they want to, Uh, You know, construct their their pricing because we had a tournament that was played on a course that really hasn't been used for like five years, and that they made changes. And then the Mexican tournament was at a course that we've never seen on tour. It was like a resort course that they just tried to lengthen to make tougher. We didn't really understand how that was going to play too. Like, are you just are you just assuming on stuff like that? My my overall prices on these golfers are fine and i know as much as the market on this course so it's fine i'm not going to try to outsmart it and think i understand exactly how this course will play
2: so this is like i think one of the advantages is that like you don't have to bet right so <laughs>
0: yeah! like mexico oh, Canada, you don't have to do anything uh, uh, so for a like, content mexico. company you sure should do
2: Actually, that's interesting because that was something I was talking about. With someone and they were like, um, they do some DFS stuff on the side. and talk about it, and I was just talking to them. And they're like, this. I have no idea what to even say about this tournament, the one that was last week, because like they haven't played this course in so long. And I'm like, and just skip. And he's like, I can't. I need. I have subscribed. You know these types of things. So it's kind of
1: sure.
2: one of those interesting things. So, like those approaches. Normally, I do. So like for the Mexico Open, you know, I made a couple bets, which I thought hypothetically, and I just sort of skipped the first and second round, and then you sort of get enough data like from the first couple rounds to be like, okay, I think this is how this course is playing. And then you can jump on in round three and round four. But like last week I didn't make any um, head-to-head tournament bets. And I was like, I'm going to wait to round three. And I was like, and then I think it was like six degrees out on Thursday or, or on Saturday, right? And everyone's shooting like plus nine. And I'm like, whoop, we're not betting that. Um, and then it became round four. And I'm like, ah, eh, we'll just skip this week. So I think that's one of the things too is like, you know, you don't have to bet every week. So if there's yeah, low – sure. But then also at the same time, those are the situations where if you can figure something out that the market or people aren't considering, that's where you can make a lot of money, right? So it's sort of a, a balance between them. And I think if we look back to like the British Open last year, that was one of the things where like, I think a lot of people were thinking the course was gonna behave a certain way. And I thought it would behave differently. And I had like the best uh, result I ever had, right? Um, just because like the market kept moving against me, um, Got really, really long odds on Colin Moore Coward, like fifty to one. You know, fifty um, to one. Thing. He went
1: off. All yeah. right.
2: Yeah. yeah, it went ridiculous, and it was one of those weird things too, where like I'm betting it, and then it moves, and you're like, yeah, I moved the market, and then you like you log in the next day, and it's like back
0: pushed to right where back it was. Face. Yeah. <laughs> you're like,
2: yeah. oh, okay, I guess they don't respect this bet. Um, so yeah, it's interesting because <laughs> then it's like, what did I see that was different? And I think for people who are trying to approach modeling in general, I think that's something that is really important because like, okay you wanna make a golf model, shots gained, right? But like, what are you doing that's different that's gonna set you apart from data golf that's probably doing shots gained better than you, right? Like, what do you think shots gained data is not measuring that you can somehow measure with some other data which may give you a perceived advantage? So like, you were thinking about the British Open, one of the things that I found really, I thought was gonna be a big thing was that um, people thought missing fairways is a big deal. Of course it is, but um, specifically good. missing fairways to the right. Right. So like you can miss the fairway to the left at that course and be perfectly fine. If you miss the fairway to the right, it's a big problem. All the bunkers are on the right side, the rough is really weird on the right side. So then like, it doesn't become, is someone accurate off the tee? It becomes, are they accurate off the tee and not missing on the right side? And that's mm-hmm. sort of like a different way to parse the data. And then it sort of becomes, okay, well, what golfers are really bad when they miss the fairway, they miss to the right a lot. And one of the people I thought really fit the data was Xander, that he missed it a lot. So I faded him a lot in the matchups. So I think he missed the cut or did really horrible or something. So like those are little sort of things that I think like, you know, if you're approaching something that's a well-formed market, like 2008, when I started betting golf, you could just literally take shots, gains, and you didn't even need to do a model. You could just like the head to heads were so bad. Right. And then it got a little bit better and then it got a little bit better. But now it's sort of at the peak part where it's like, if you develop a new shots gain model, that's purely shots, gains. You might be FanDuel openers, or you might be DraftKings <laughs> openers, right? Like, but you need to also evolve with the market. And I think when you get to uh, more of the the higher levels, it's not like you against the books, it's you against other people's models who are influential yeah. in the market. And some weeks you bomb out and they read the course better and they had a better modeling approach, and some weeks you work better, right, and have a better approach. And I think that's really, I think, what separates the whole, like, middle tier from the top tier game, Like, sure. And it's tough because, like, it's much easier to beat those recreational books. But then, like, if you're running the same model being the recreational books and you try to beat a very fluid market like NFL Sundays, um, right? Or a golf, tent, that bookmaker or 10,000 Limits, and you're showing a huge value against there, I would probably assume that something's wrong or try to
0: understand why this thing is so yeah. off, right? Yeah. I do, do kind of keep track yeah. of that too. when When I show value, and I shop, and there's only a few places I'll shop. And the best price is at Bookmaker on a let's say a full tournament matchup. And it's by I mean, just we won't even use percentages. Let's we'll just say it's it's minus 35 everywhere, it's minus 20 at Bookmaker. You got to put a little check mark next to that. And then I usually end up going back and looking at it. Sometimes I'll still bet it. I have and will still bet those if I believe strongly enough in what I'm looking at. But if I don't end up betting that, I'll still write that one down and kind of uh, make sure I'm really going back and looking at how that tournament went for those two men. And then, I mean, the same thing, the Mexican one too. I ended up not playing any round three or round four in that after like play started because I think I ended up playing seven full tournament matchups and they just trended well. And I ended up playing a couple in round one and round two and realized like, It was a lot of noise i wasn't seeing anything clearly i just left it alone i'm like i'll just i'll have a winning tournament no matter what i'll just leave round three and round four alone like i I guess i shouldn't say i can't not bet sometimes i just don't bet if i if it's clear that i'm like i'm just flipping coins in round three and four here i'm i'm gonna leave this alone but it is you know watching the market too is, is always that's been maybe an interesting wrinkle to add but as oh, yeah. far as especially especially in the head-to-head stuff the head-to-head markets are i still think it's the most fun even though obviously outrights are clearly the most fun to win
1: i you know i would say you mentioned the data golf and shots you know strokes gained for golf and i if you're new to this and i you know this is maybe my philo, you know philosophical point of view for any kind of modeling um I'm literally looking to, hey, given these readily available input parameters that are normalized and clean, let's uh, see if I can get pretty close to the market close. And then any other theory you have, any other data that you didn't use to get to that point, you see if any of that correlates with the misfit between the market close and the result. And if you can find any parameter or create your own parameter that explains 10 of the misfit but you know 10 percent of the error then you layer that on top of whatever model you have that gets you to market close anyway um you're cooking with gas it's like it's um there are small things that are still unaccounted for even by the global market community you know global handicapping community that gets to a fair on a given game um there are still things that aren't unexplained and all you need is one of those.
2: How do you deal with like a high variance person? So golf example would be like Jordan Spieth. So he's all over the place. I mean, he could shoot like minus 20 or get you plus 20. And it's tough because like in your, and a lot of it is maybe he was injured or same thing with Brooks Kepka. He's been injured for a while and now he seems to be doing better. And it's tough because like in head to head, you can just ignore those people. Like I'm not betting anything involving Spieth and Kepka. But now the problem is they're good enough golfers that they're taking up a decent percentage of the win percentage. So you can't say, I'm just gonna set Brooks Koepka and Jordan Speed at 0% win percentage because then everyone else is gonna show value because that 4% or whatever they're worth is gonna get distributed amongst other people, mostly at the top. And that becomes those sort of weird things. Like, yeah, how do you deal with these golfers? So like in tennis, I'm sure there's players that are re- uh, really random, right? Um, serve bots, right? Um, they could just go and dominate the an entire tournament or they could just get bounced in the first round depending where they're playing. And then, how do you incorporate their win percentage with everyone else when they're so random?
1: I think that mu- is much more straightforward if you're doing a forward projection and you're quantifying the uncertainty correctly, right? Like if you're projecting in through a, some you know means of simulating, even golf tournament for that if, you know, for that matter, and you have you know the exact um, uh, you know you're sampling. And the strokes gained that you know that that player will perform at at a given day and your error bands are correctly sized you know proportionally sized for the different players um then they're going to fall out and they're going to tell you that uh you know that the value is a little on the low side particularly um you know if if it is as you know if it is that clear right like um well and, and the
0: thing too in the, in the golf betting market i think that's the thing that keeps keeps some of these prices in check where you have some big players groups bettors whatever who consistently have big disagreements on certain golfers or chunks of golfers every week where you have big and it, i mean that happens in every sport in baseball there's plenty of crossing between groups but like golf every week it's like you know, the this guy is just getting yo-yoed back and forth, and it's and it's at a place where they're taking a a high limit. Yeah, you can I can tell. Here's like, there's, my
1: there's here's my here's my my test that I would actually try to set up to prove that I'm not bullshitting here. But I think if you have two golfers that have the same median expected strokes gained for a given tournament, and one guy's got a standard deviation of, uh, you know, that's that's twice as high as another, and you run that simulation in a field of 100 golfers. I'm guessing that you're going to see a meaningful difference where the higher variance guy is finishing winning top 20 uh, lower uh, than his counterpart with the same median strokes gain predicted. Um, That's based somewhat on the assumption of how that compounds over the four rounds uh, and, you know, the just in general, the uh, everybody else on the field, you know, kind of having average uncertainty um
0: I agree does, with that because does that of the compounding the
1: mathematics smell test
0: I, I think because of the compounding like it's really hard to win a golf tournament with one absolute ejection round and guys with that, you know, you look at it, oh, they have a high variance. That means, you know, I shouldn't bet them top 20. I should bet them to win. Cause if they, if they, you know, if they vary, variate, variate, if they vary the right way, they win the damn tournament. But it's like, it's almost like the four rounds or four different tournaments sometimes where yeah. guys like that with high variance, they find themselves in an 80. And those guys aren't top 20.
1: Most of what I see when I've grabbed, or pulled the uh, data golf stuff is that the variability around all the golfers is pretty flat. And that does not pass the smell test to me. I think what you're describing of guys like Spieth and Kepka um, versus guys who are pretty, you know, pretty consistent um, should show up more obviously in the data than what I've seen when I've downloaded just the data golf numbers.
2: And then this is actually, someone asked on Twitter a question. They were talking about how could you set something like they're talking about NASCAR, but same thing with golf is that like a lo- what some people do, which I think is bad. Uh, a, well, I know it's bad. I'm just being framing it nicely. Is that um, they might take something like someone's to win odds and set like their top twenty based on a derivative. So it'd be like, okay, if someone is eighty to one to win, historically people are eighty one to win. Uh, get top twenty extra percent of time. Therefore, this is a value type thing. And I feel like in sports like this, where it's more individual based, these derivative things really fall apart really well because of the idea you're talking about with the variance. Like an example would be um, someone like Matthew Fitzpatrick. He is a decent golfer but he's one of these very very low variance golfers in that like he never takes a chance like he'll lay up or he'll go for the sage shot every time and in a lot of the courses that they're playing on the pga tour like that's not going to get you a win but it will get you a top 20 and it's one of those things where like a lot of people like are constantly betting him to win to win to win and it's like i think his more value would be in the top 20 because like his win odds are always really deflated because i think he lacks that sort of High variance in the sense that like he'll go out and shoot a minus 10, but a minus 10 isn't gonna win every week, right? Like he's yeah. never won on the PJ tour. He wins on the tours where you're rewarded for not making mistakes. And yeah. and he's, and then, he's like,
0: decent in team play events because he's yep. he's smart. He plays smart. And yeah, smart beats like 130 players, but it doesn't beat 150. And I mean that's that he's like a great example too. And you know, the, it's funny you mentioned, like, how the derivative p- markets are probably wrong. It feels like it maybe isn't the biggest conversation, but, like, it reminds me of hearing, you know, some of the people that go on the podcast with, like, Spanky or even just good interviews we've heard with people. Like, when they talk about the halftime odds for college basketball, like, a 100 years ago, or not, you know, just in the <laughs> 80s, they said, like, if the total was 150, they'd set the first half at 75, you know, and just, like, that was dead wrong. It kind of feels like this is gonna this is gonna fall into that one of these days where it's like, man, they were setting top twenties for shit.
1: Yeah. You know, I and, like, and, you know, yeah. It's possible.
0: I'll say that's how I made
2: a lot of money early on with NBA that, and that also Harala Bob's talked about this a bunch, is that there a lot of books were literally just doing that, splitting in half. And I think then once that goes away, you have to look for different edges. So like a lot of the time now I spend betting uh first quarter and second half, and a lot of it is because of things like well, if you're focusing on first quarter what could you really exploit rotations
1: rotations yeah
2: and it's spent you but then how could you get it, exploit there you have to listen to a lot of coach interviews it sounds stupid like but i pay someone and they literally go and transcribe every mlb coach interview post game every nba coach post interview type thing and you sort of can get i mean you get confidence in some people that are telling the truth some coaches just make up random stuff like steve carr never trusted says, <laughs> right like um but I feel like that's where an edge can sort of come if you're like realize that, like, okay, well, they're going to only play their starters for six minutes and then switch to the second squad. That could be a huge sort of advantage. Or examples might be uh, i used this one before, but like LeBron, LeBron plays different when he's on the court with AD and Russell Westbrook than when he does with a second tier team. When he's playing with Westbrook, he takes more of a passing approach, um, plays more defense. When he's playing with the second tier scrubs, like, you know, Horton, Tucker, or wherever. He takes more of an offensive role type thing right true. that's true and if you sort of recognize that he is playing this way like you might be able to model his full game perfectly fine because like overall his minutes are going to be distributed decently yes. between these things but if you realize that like in the first quarter he's going to mostly play with these guys who can't score who are missing tons of shots and he's going to play defense um we used to joke like uh for the longest time we were betting lakers first quarter under second quarter over because lebron played defense in the first quarter go under right then the second quarter he starts shooting and then no one else in the lakers plays defense so like it just be a shootout and this was like something that was just constantly hitting like the zigzag theory but like it makes sense if you're looking at the rotation based thing but if you take a purely de- derivative type approach that becomes well obviously i'm just you know all the games with this total have this score in the average in the first quarter therefore i'm going to take the under and i feel like that's one of the things that I I think it used to be really profitable is using like historical data to set derivatives. But like, I think the game has really evolved past that because the lines have gotten better. Like when they were splitting the total in half piece of cake. Now that the first half is less in some games and higher in others, like it's, you're just going to get in so much trouble.
0: Well, and during that same period where you're, let's say just thinking of that time period when you were betting those, like, what do you say of the other teams in the league? Like there was just, they are maybe the only team that had that kind of, you know, I don't want to say certainty, you know, that there's, there's other instances of that, but probably lesser. And then there's some teams where it's just like, I, I never understand what this coach is going to do with these rotations. And we're not seeing big differences in the offense, depending on who's on the floor anyway, or it's just, you know, it's a case of you're finding one of these. That's great and then a few that are lesser and then there's a bunch of teams you just ignore because the markets are probably pretty fair as far as derivatives go. Yeah. I think
2: some coaches have tendencies, um, but there's other things too, like um, John ja Morant. So a lot of people thought when John ja Morant was out from Memphis, they would play horribly and they actually, would they go 15 and two or something without him, but also they play a different game when Jaw's is not yeah. on the court. And that's why I thought like if Jaw was out for the Timberwolves games, they would have swept them like four, four zero, four one. or four one because when Jaw's not in the game, they play defense. Yeah. When Jaw's in the game, he runs the offense and they're just super high tempo and they're just shooting like crazy and they're not getting back on defense. And he's everything's filtering through him. And actually, I think one of the reasons they were successful towards the end is because he switched his role. If you look like he was hitting so many assists and he was actually like passing the ball off the bane and things so forth, it's so, like he realized that like I need to adopt a different role, otherwise we're gonna lose. it seems to work out and then it goes back to the warriors and he's shooting 50 shots a game now you know i mean and it's the same as that thing where it's like well they're not guarding the three and they're giving up you know unprotected 3s nonstop. you can't keep that pace obviously because you're going against teams that are like the warriors who only shoot threes right and you get screwed so like i feel like yeah there's also that like sometimes when players are missing it creates weird dynamics and like sometimes you might think like this is was a funny one too like towards the end of the year um like I faded the lock the Lakers so much this year it was ridiculous. Um <laughs> the market for, like never adjusted. But then it was I was always getting like negative closing line value in like the last month, and I was like, what's going on? And it was like the Tom Brady situation where LeBron was listed as questionable every single game. And then one hour before tip, LeBron's in, and then the line will move two points towards the Lakers. And I was setting the line to be like what it was at before LeBron was announced. I was like, he's never gonna sit during the playoffs. But it was a weird sort of thing where it's like is the market actually reacting to LeBron being in? It was pretty obvious he was in, but anytime he was announced he's in, the market moves tons towards the Lakers. And it's like, well, I got two free points now fading Lakers. Yeah. Um, and it's like, was that just run good? Or was I just noticing inefficiency in the market? Or
1: no, no, this season, was,
0: haven't you seen season, that in the playoffs too, Drew? Like you've this, seen that with a few lines where it's like, we know this guy's out.
1: Or yeah. In. This, this, this season broadly, uh, I have noticed a ton of, um, you know, those people who are really dialed in who are following and listening to the coaches listening to every piece of information you know gleaning every you know combing all of the information channels they know exactly what's coming they have built it into the number before well before and the last minute uh you know line moves have been largely noise I have felt like on sides totals a little bit different ball game um, just because I think of who is sort of making those markets is doing it a little differently. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, the John Moran point was fair. And, honestly, like their defensive rating without him with season has been noticeably better. I think he's got a net minus net negative rating uh, often versus defense because the off when he's off the court, I think their offensive rating goes down two points when he's when, – but the defense rating goes up like five, um, something like that. So, you know, I mean, it's not crazy. Pace is actually not as much as as uh, you would have thought. Like, there's a little bit slower pace, but not um, not hugely slow. Let's talk two quick questions for you about data, bad data, and uh, data gaps. Um, would you say it is a problem for your process or a benefit to taking advantage of the market when there's a major rule change or a major equipment change? That's not broadly captured by the other folks in the market who are making numbers analytically. I'll use this year's baseball and this year's NBA rule change about the three-point, uh, you know, shake your feet sh- out, you know, Shake your feet out foul um, as kind of key examples of these. And are those good for you, or or generally uh, a problem? And how long does it take you to see it in the data?
2: Yeah, I think that's something. That's, so something I do every Sunday night is do like a model evaluation. So, you know, you're collecting data, but then sort of like you have a week's worth of data in the sense of you have a week's worth your projections, you have a week worth games, you can compare it, and try to sort of analyze to see if any of these things are affecting it. So use baseball as example is last year, there was the big controversy over the spider tack or whatever the heck it was called, yep. where pitchers are doing this type of thing. And what I noticed was there was a subset of pitchers that were way outperforming my projections on them. And it sort of becomes a weird question because like, it's only one week worth of data. So maybe a pitcher would get two starts at max in that one week, most likely they're gonna get one. And it's sort of like, okay, now I'm seeing a skewed distribution, is this noise or is this sort of reality, right? And this is where you can say that, like, um, and this is with any data analysis, like a lot of people are like outliers, I'm just gonna dismiss them, they're noise, they're, they're worthless, they're messing with my model. But I feel like most of the time you can learn a lot from those outliers, so like, um, and seeing like, why are these people outperforming my model consistently? Am I projecting them wrong or are they doing something bad like cheating? And this is where you can sort of look in the data and like baseball is really nice because you get like so much about the pitch, like the spin rate, all these other things. And like all these pitchers that were identifying as outliers all had way less or uh, higher high, forget spin rate than they've ever had before. And it's like, whoa, they're getting more grip on the ball obviously right so now it sort of becomes this thing that like obviously something's going around with this subset of pictures that i'm not capturing and then it's like how do you capitalize on this and this is where you can get really messy because you can sort of read too much into this and be like i found a really profitable angle i'm gonna make sure i pound uh garrett cole k's over right and it was really weird because then garrett cole was going off like negative 300 negative 400 negative 500 because like he was just dominating right and i felt like the actually a more profitable way was then like once the crackdown happened to fade those people. Because then like after they started saying like we're going to ban this substance, Garrett Cole was still going off at minus 300, minus 400. And more of the profit became in, okay, I'm just going to ignore all his results from this year and just go with my preseason projections on him and use mm-hmm. that going forward and just ignore this data because I don't think this is representative of his true pitching. And it was able to clean up a lot fading those pictures that were involved in that spider tech thing right i think the mlb thing this year is a little weird because no one knows which park is using the weird balls so people don't know there's some a rumor that some baseballs are not equivalent at different parks and players are complaining that the balls are dying which is leading to a lot of unders but then it's weird because like one day like you'll see tons of unders and next day you'll see tons of overs and it's like is this noise and like trying to pinpoint, like, are the bad balls getting shipped to the southwest of the United States? And that's something that I haven't really figured out, but I've noticed like my totals that I'm projecting are much lower because I'm incorporating this year's data. But then there's just been so many weird, like uh if you're measuring like the residual from like your projected to actual this year, they've been really, really high, but like the profit's been the same, so I haven't really mm-hmm. messed around with this much, but like you know, projecting total to be eight and then like a score 20 or they score zero, you know, what I mean, like verse the six, seven, eight, nine, where they typically sort of, um, and someone brought up in chat too, there's something, the UFSFL new rule where the clock runs after the first and the third. So like my hypothesis was just to talk us through the huge $50 live betting market, because <laughs> um, in the first quarter, the clock's going to be running a lot. So the books are going to skew towards the under based on that. And then when it starts stopping the second, they might not be unrepresentative. You know, the idea that like, Oh, the clock's going really fast in the first. So we're going to lower the total and then it's going to soldier a crawl in the second and fourth. So maybe the over and it worked, but like, was that a good play? I have no idea. You know, it worked. I made $200. Uh, We just haven't
0: had enough damn games. And it's funny too. I was the, the spider tech thing. I was at Garrett Cole's first start after the spider tech. And I faded him; it didn't work out just because the Twins' pitching was horrible that day. Yeah. And the Yankees hit. They, yeah. I mean, it didn't matter what he did. The Yankees hit like six bombs off us or something. It was up at Target Field. He was lucky. His first game after that crackdown was in Minnesota, where we're polite. Like that have been; it'd have been a lot yeah. more miserable if he was in Boston or somewhere where they have mean people. But
1: yeah, you need. The, I so mean, much- after,
0: after, that was a tiny sample too. After that, yeah. like you're right. Once some of those people, they, I mean, the people who do baseball you know, uh, data viz, they, or even the data viz you can just take from some of those sites. Like, oh, weird, you, here's your spin rate, and then here's the day we, we cut it off and your spin rate drops 200 RPM, and weird, all of a sudden people are hitting your shit again. And, I mean, it was a full-on thing, which um, yeah. if I'm MLB, I'm totally taking away spider tech. Home runs are great. And it, it's funny, too, that we talked about yeah. this a few weeks ago, modeling some uh, derivatives or props, and mine at the end of it was like, I'm going to do home runs. And then now, like everything is dying at the warning track.
1: Like, no, thing. no.
0: There's no what? no markets. It's all yes. I'm not going to model S <laughs> home runs. That ain't going to be any fun. I'm going to lose my well. Ass. Let, me, let me
1: ask you a, a, an opinion, uh, Ad. Do do you need expert domain knowledge, or do you need do you need domain expertise at this point to be betting baseball profitably? I
2: think it's. You know, as you I think if you have a decent amount, like I think baseball is interesting because you have the most variables that you could sort of deal with. Like, I think of all the sports, they provide the most data, but I think it's one of those things where it's just a long grind and I think has a lot of variance. So like I always why did I start with baseball because it had a lot of it was like had the most data and I didn't really know that much about baseball, but like I learned a lot from analyzing the data and trying to make sense of what I'm seeing. So I feel like you could start with moderate knowledge but then you can build more data as you are evaluating your model, as you're trying to process what you're understanding, what you're seeing. And I think baseball is really interesting because like so many things change from year to year that seem not that big a deal. Like this baseball thing, but like every year there's baseball things and the weather, you know, like there's all these weird things. So I think you can get away with it with like little, but like you're gonna build knowledge. And I think that's one of the things that I think is really maybe missed when modeling is that like, it's not, it's very, Dynamic. It's not like you build a model and then you're done, right? Like, I constantly do model reviews. I constantly come up with questions, constantly sort of like reevaluating things. And it becomes a weird thing where it's like you have to sort of be careful that you're not making changes based off every little tiny thing you're seeing, right? That like, oh no, this week the totals were up compared to last week. Maybe these balls are changed now, right? Like, it's sort of trying to really understand what's going on and making sense of it and not being like uh, reactionary, but also being sort of cautious that like, hey, something might be going on. I need to pay attention to this and take really, really good notes. I think that's something else too. Um, Maybe I'll start with derivatives real quick, is that like, I think one of the things that people may fall into is that like, I, I found derivatives when I first started and I thought they were amazing. But like, I think one of the things that people are doing now a lot is like, okay, if the spread is plus three, well, this derivative calculator says plus 11 has value. So I'm gonna bet these sort of tail events. And I think maybe a we'll caution for people that are using these types of approaches, especially with things like live bending, is that um, a lot of these derivative type approaches really fall apart at the tails. Like any distribution is really, really good in the center. So like if you're using a derivative <laughs> calculator to calculate like the run line, that's great. Or if you're like, okay, what's the difference between plus 3.5 and plus four? I feel like that's good like trying to use a derivative calculator to calculate a total that's 20 points more than you have or a spread that's like 10 points different. I think you're gonna run into a lot of issues with that. And I would be, car- I would people who use those, type, I would be sort of like hesitant to, you know, be aware of those things. Like you're probably gonna find value at these tails. Is it real value? I think it's really hard because the hardest problem in any modeling situation is dealing with these tails. And you're just sort of ramping up to unknown to like, it's just pure gambling in my opinion.
1: I think they have pricing that the tails is hard for the bookmaker as well, though. Yeah.
2: yeah and that becomes a tough thing. And that's usually why like. you see the huge, uh, you know, VIGs type things. But yeah, it's like, yeah. is if, since it's so hard in the tails, is it one of those things like it's exploitable or is it just one of those things that like, this is too hard to deal with. Let's just focus on something else. Right. And I think that's where you can sort of get tricked in that. Like I can beat these tails things. And it's like, I don't, I don't know about that. You know I mean? Like maybe someone can, but I feel like that's, if you can correctly model and understand tails, you can just go to financial markets and crush, right? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. one of those weird sort of things.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of this that we're talking about that applies well to more liquid markets, but we'll leave that for another day. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, if you don't, don't want to be betting into- I don't want to talk about the market yeah. today. <laughs> Yeah, it's not, not a great day to bring
0: up bring up Wall Street, but we're hey, a uh, very, very liquid market. Uh I got a couple a couple other wild questions for you. So
1: you've been doing this uh, from from again from hearing your podcast and kind of just talking to you over the years at this point. Uh you've been doing this for a while. Um your yeah. process is very, very mature. Um, are there still some aspects that you look at your own? performance as a better and think of like, man, I have a couple leaks. I need to fix X, Y, and Z and what I'm doing.
2: Yes. My NHL, degen fund, um, <laughs> it actually worked out as a case. Just sports specific that. And also like soccer it's one of those things where it's like, I enjoy watching the top tier soccer. Like I'm not going to watch MLS, which I mean, it seems pretty fun, but like those guys seem to be like running down the, the field, good. like unguarded. And, you know, that's actually more entertaining because they're like scoring tons, right? But like when the Euro happened, I was like, okay, I'm going to take uh, $25,000 and I'm going to put this into my Euro degen funds and just bet soccer. And they're like, that's such a stupid idea because $25,000 is a lot of money. You, you know, if I lost, it's not a big deal. But like that yeah. could do something useful in the world. Like you could make an investment or – Or you could, you could have know. tailed Cole Reb.
1: Yeah. And-
0: yeah. <laughs> And yes. made. A, a or you could, coal, ta- you, ta- 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 you could have tailed. You
1: could have tailed Andy for three days, and you would have lost. You'd had to re, oh uh, re, remember when I went zero eight? Yes, I had. Yeah. I, was, I was the streakiest Euro bet. So streaky. I won money
0: in the Euros. Yeah.
2: Me too. I had Italy, so it worked out nicely. But like, those are things where it's like they're leaks, but it's also it's tough because it's like, like pre-COVID, I wouldn't really watch games. You know, I'd go out and do things. I feel like post COVID I kind of got into this habit of like sitting at the computer too much and watching games. And that sort of fuels the degeneracy a little bit in the sense of like, I'm sitting in front of the computer scared to go outside because who knows might die or something crazy, right? Like what's the bet on? And it's pros and cons. Cause then like, hey, I I started modeling some Euro sports and I learned a lot. And also like I learned a lot from modeling uh, F1 and NASCAR that like really filtered into my other types of modeling. So like those types of sports, sure you know there's quantitative but there's a lot of qualitative things that you need to factor in which are hard to quantify but like i think that really shifted things also like in how i'm approaching things so i think it's an evolving always learning but like it's always tough because how do you measure success and it's like closing line value but then the problem is if you're betting into a market and moving the line are you and you're getting artificial closing line value how do you measure it and it's like well you use your model and then it's like that's also kind of bad you know like so I think that's one of the maybe lonely things with sports betting is like, you don't have some boss being like, good job, good job, good job. I guess getting banned from like FanDuel, but like I know people got banned from FanDuel and they have no idea what they're doing. You know what I mean? So like sure. <laughs> those sure. weird things, but yeah, I feel like.
0: Oh no, yeah. There, there was like, people, I mean, back in the day when, and again, I, you ne- you never know how much of this is true or not, but like, Bovada apparently used to be a lot tougher on, because they were such a public-facing book, Bovada-Bodog, especially the Bodog branch, which was in Canada where people had access to Pinnacle. There was always overlap with the Pinnacle prices where you, you could just arbitrage. Sure. And the rumor was that eventually they're just like, well, we probably need to limit people who are just using our book to arbitrage. And, and, and you, you heard of people getting caught in that by accident. Where they just happened to be betting, like they, they hit like you know ten bets in a row, and eight of them would be things that overlapped with Pinnacle, and they they didn't know why their limits were cut or something. These are stories you hear from back in the day, but <laughs> I, I I mean it's that's an old I don't know that might just be an old wives' tale. They don't the want same, my
1: heat. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the same the same thing
0: is the same thing does happen at some of these rec shops where it's like man this just this guy doesn't know shit about shit. And he just ends up running hot for two weeks on player props. They can't bet anymore. That sucks for him, but I mean, such is life. Well, let me
2: ask you. It's interesting too, because like it creates weird opportunities. So there are like uh, DF, like established to run. It's a very popular football site. And they actually have really good records of props for NBA and football. And I thought it was interesting. So like I had someone, they opened the account and I, I told their account, like specifically only bet these certain props, and they were the props that I disagreed with with ETR in the sense of like NFL. So like, I thought like let's keep this account open, and this account stayed open for the entire NFL season. Yeah. And all I was literally doing was sort of like buying back
1: yeah. the, the action the of economy. like
2: people that really pushed the market a lot. And it's it stayed all the way to the end of the Super Bowl when we did really good in the Super Bowl, and then it's like, boop, now you are closed. You know, now you got like six dollar limits. But like, so it, it really won. Yeah.
0: It, but, won yeah, it won, and you were betting you were betting late. So you'd wait for the steam, you'd bet against the steam or you disagreed. So you weren't getting CLV, but you were yep. winning. That's interesting.
2: And it, mostly, the most common one was Cam Akers, Super Bowl Unders. Like that was one I, when I saw how much money we had on it, I was like, this is not good. Yeah. Um, and we got <laughs> zero closing line value. And I just yeah. laughed when he went for like eleven rushes for like for that, six yard, you know.
1: For that, oh yeah, that was a beauty. Yeah. <laughs> for that, you know, for that example of pushing back on a big, you know, a public it release makes me like, think of Ras. Uh, um, if they released twenty props and you disagreed on four and you stood those four up, was it literally like the other sixteen moved out of beddable range and those four were, were they're bad ones?
2: Yeah, and a lot of time too is like with any model there's biases. So, like, um, not to throw them out on the bus, but I feel like they really overrate certain players, Um, Cam Akers for one, and they were really overrating, like, Jacksonville Jaguars receivers. And if anyone watched, like, any Jacksonville Jaguars games, I think they made, like, two completed passes the entire season. But, like, every week they were sort of recommending, like, over on – I forget who the tight end was and over for that really old wide receiver they had. Um, And sort of became one of these things where it's, like – in the beginning, there was a lot of steam on their overs, but I think like people who started following them realized like, okay, I'm not gonna bet these. And you also saw that like with golf where data golf like would recommend Hideki Matsuyama like every single week and every single matchup. And it came to the point where like Hideki would move tons and then I think people got burned too much and they're like, We're not gonna do this anymore. So I think it's like both like finding one you disagree with and then seeing like is the market moving a lot? And if it moves a lot t- buy some back. Um, And so if you have a rec book, I feel like that's the way you could really keep your accounts open longer. I mean, eventually they're going to get closed, right? But like if they like, well, we got a thousand people betting this and this is the sharp side. And you disagree with these markets that move a lot with little. I think you can keep them alive a little longer, but, you know, they all eventually die. And you have to go find Mm -hmm. some random person and be like, hi, can you open a Fanduel account? And I'll give you. But were you
1: you getting. It's like standing
0: outside the liquor store when you're 17. Can you buy me just uh
1: yeah, just anecdotally, do you remember though if you were getting neutral CLV on those props and the all the other ones were closing like like 10, you know, 10% higher? Well,
2: for sure. I'd say like first the opening line before it moved, almost 100% negative closing line value versus like the line I bet, like occasionally you get closing on value, sometimes it's neutral, sometimes it's negative because like there's buyback, you know, like people. Yeah, like may log in like only on Sunday to their account and say like, oh, they recommend over 40 and now it's 39. I should bet it type thing. Got but it. yeah, I'd say like, I have to go and check, but I think majority was like not negative closing line value. Um, and I think also too, like, you know, I'm sure we all know they, um, certain accounts get flagged. Like this is sharp action. This is so-and-so action. So I guess in that account, maybe if the person's fading what they perceive as sharp action all the week, they don't get labeled as someone who's sharp until someone yeah. comes in like
1: does a review of does not (laughs) it like wait they've taken how much (laughs) yeah yeah yeah.
2: so i feel like that's if if people are like trying to keep those accounts alive i feel like those are really underrated places now that like we know some dfs sites have huge influence on the market find the ones you disagree with and fade like if you follow them that's how you're going to get your accounts limited and banned like instantly right
0: Um, and that's uh, the problem too with like i mean and uh, respect what Ras does, but you got to be quick. You have to be available and ready to bet those. Yep. Cancel, but uh <laughs> th- but the, the same thing with the ETR props. Like those are sharp, but they're sharp because it's a shitty market. That as soon as you know, yeah. 30 people bet it. What, are are they? what
1: do you think they hit 65 percent? Probably.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it's those openers are soft, and they're gonna move like a bandit when everyone bets it. And if you're late, you're not gonna. You know, you might not win they don't just index those they'll eventually start moving the actual number you might get a late number on you know you get a late number once a week you lose one more than they win everything else you pay 30 cents more on because you're a little late you're you probably still make a little money but it's not going to be you know the advertised record you're going to look at your accounts and be like why didn't i do as well it's really hard to tell all these props properly and yeah. i think that's interesting too that the way that the books do their auditing i feel like that's a good probably confirmation that I feel like first and foremost, they're looking at closing line value. Like, is yeah. this account constantly beating the line? And that's more important to them for identifying a market or a, an account they don't want than actual P&L. Like, because people, I think it's a lot easier for somebody to get lucky and run hot, win some bets over a short period of time yeah. than to luck into a shitload of closing line value like 70% of the time.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um let me ask you a totally different unrelated question. Is there a sport that you could do as well or pretty close to as well if you were only allowed to use a mental model? No data science anymore whatsoever. You just Let's you're only it. allowed you're only allowed to bet the sport using a mental model. Is there anything you think you could do just about as well as your current approach?
2: No. Um <laughs> I mean, tennis. We joke around that, like you know, you look into their eyes, or like how how aggressively are they eating the banana? No, like,
1: you, you, usually you, you, to...
2: yeah, you got a mental model for
1: <laughs> NBA. It sounds like for MLB, to a degree, like you don't think you could at least you don't have to bet into the exact same markets, same limit size. But like you're you're uh, you know you're you're on an island or you're in a in a in a prison cell or something, and you keep, don't have the internet, but you can watch and bet on the games. Like where what are you where are you going? I
2: think it, yeah, it's interesting because like there it's more, maybe less about the individual sport, but understanding the market and like what the market tends to value. Like, um, you know, certain teams, which may be in like lower markets, I tend to think they get less respect in the futures markets. So like something that is like the Charlotte Bobcats. like Who the heck heard of the Charlotte Bobcats? Like six people, right? Um, they're much better than oh, the Charlotte wow. Hornets. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, but like, those are the teams that like uh, Oakland A's, for some reason like i always seem to have value in like the oakland A's, and it's worked out really well um and it's always tough because it's like is it because like they're just such a boring team that no one cares about them that like and they don't really do that good but they make the playoffs occasionally right so like i think maybe understanding but then it always gets in trouble because like you know our market biases consistent over time i sure. think so but um you know it's tough uh, i don't know do you think you could just mentally model anything like
0: it'd have to be Did live test. And, live or,
1: at this point nba almost certainly yeah really? i would need to see the market like pretty great right? i would need i would need access to closing lines but i think i could yeah that sounds Actually,
0: a lot like modeling
1: but what i would just need with, to um, see it i wouldn't need them written okay. down.
0: you can't write it down
2: yeah. yes yes
1: because
2: yeah. um maybe this this angles dead because uh doc better and Tennis, i sort of like crush a little right? bit yeah. um nba preseason live it was so ridiculous because yeah. like if you look at the live quarter lines like a team would be down four to two and it'd be like plus 700 on the money line i'm like what is going <laughs> on and this team was like a seven point favor eight point favor coming in it's like uh they're not uh, even playing like the jazz team they're playing like jazz blue which is like the jazz g league <laughs> team and it's like there was weird things where like I, I don't have an NBA preseason model, but yeah. like I was just betting oh click that thousand dollars thousand you know what I mean and it was like seven to one sure, a thousand dollars and it worked out really nicely and then uh, whatever book I don't want to in case they bring it back but they stopped using that live odds provider yeah. unfortunately uh, because it was really nice they were taking like insane <laughs> limits it's like two fifty pregame on an NBA spread a preseason and then like a thousand dollars live on a quarter it's, like <laughs> what is
0: happening. <laughs> So like that is something too you forgot to
1: turn it from preseason the NBA yeah. to preseason NBA yeah that's yes. true. You remember
0: truly. do you remember live betting uh do you remember live betting NBA on my bookie for like a week? I like two, it was like two enough. two years ago. You were like, hey, and these during numbers. During the
1: tanking season? During the tanking I th- I season? I yeah. think so. You're like, hey, yeah. these num-
0: they're using a different provider, and these numbers Those... aren't right. And then you DM me like a week later. It's like, I can't bet anymore.
1: <laughs> it's, it's over. Um, okay, now the NBA uh, would be a good one for me to do, try to mental model. I could mental come up with pricing for tennis at this point. I've seen enough, I think. Um, I have chance, just a general feeling, at least, of what of market fair ought to be. Um yeah, it's a good it's a good exercise to just do it to see you. Know, I you sit back and think about it enough, like hey, if we see Sun's Warriors, what's the price of that series gonna be? Right? Like you could come you could ballpark that, right?
2: I guess also with um well I tried to ballpark uh, Memphis versus Warriors, and I was like, it should be about 120 Memphis, and I ran the model and it was like plus one ninety Memphis. I'm like, oh geez. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Not even close. Um, but that's also Bias because I think Memphis is better than they actually are. You know, what I mean, okay, like,
1: sure.
2: Uh, sure. type thing. Um, it's also interesting too because, like, in baseball last year, we were huge on the Giants, um, and they were like, even if you go into like September, they were, um, you know, like still fifty to one to win the West or something crazy, even though they were up like four games. And it's one of those things. Like, even though before I ran the model, I was like, I know we're going to bet San Francisco today just because, like, whatever reason the market was. In my perception, undervaluing the Giants. So, like, I knew who we were going to have value bang the Giants before I even ran the model. And I was like, oh, yeah. we do have value type thing.
1: Yeah. So,
2: situations like that, I feel like, yeah. you know. That
1: was how the NBA regular season yeah. went for like the whole last half for me this year it was literally like I could, I could get a, I had a good feeling of where my numbers were going to be before I even uh, cracked the sim. So, it was, it was fun. But, um, okay. Uh, if, thing, uh, yeah, the Al Horford game,
0: the the Al Horford yeah, game. Bucks are doing a nice homage to the Timberwolves here with their force. I quarter. love it, man. I love showing, it. Showing a little uh, love. Uh, I this love game it. doesn't make any sense. Who? Uh,
1: yeah, you, we got four dead even. Well, three <laughs> dead even NBA series and one that's got a fighting chance to be even. Um, Maybe
2: another NBA thing too was um, blindly bet. Is that um when those playoff odds came out and do you saw the Suns or no it's Suns Sorry, the Celtics and the Nets odds
1: yeah you
2: I just I already had something on the heat to win the East and I was like I'm betting the heat to win the East because I don't even need to run the model these yeah. Celtics and Nets odds are ridiculous um they were both like 100 200 to win and I'm like what they're playing each other in the first
1: half <laughs> makes it's not, zero it was sense Not possible. Right? It, it right. Was not one possible. of these one of these teams is getting eliminated we know that for sure and yeah. the equity, some of that equity is going to spill into the heat. It was, it, it was, it was an absolute no brainer, and I still don't understand why it was like that. It's a weird disconnect between the futures and the series. I, I get
0: they have liabilities, story. but again, just the way a bracket works, one of those teams has to go away. <laughs> yeah, like you explained that to me, and I, I looked at it and it said. But we, we you sit there and try to justify it with oh maybe they have liability on this team or this team yeah. and it's like you can say that all you want until you're blue in the face still doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, as well as I could see the NBA during the regular season, I look at it right now. I don't really know how it's going to end. No fucking clue. You got a feeling?
2: Um, probably Suns uh, Heat. That's I'm hoping Heat Grizzlies because I got both to win and that win both East and West. But I'm guessing Suns. Yeah. I could live with that. Well, I know you're biased I'm hopeful.
1: because you, uh, you the, house <laughs> I'm hopeful. the right? <laughs> I, I mean, I hope it's the Suns, but uh um I don't know man. Keep shooting the, 70% the, from the, field? the vibe the vibe that they had during the regular season where they ran into adversity and just fucking shredded it. Like it's not there right now. Uh I don't know if they're doubting themselves. Or if they're saving the extra gears. I, I don't have a good Feeling. Um, I will tell you that the general, the narrative that most succinctly captured this year's NBA season was, uh, you know, rest and fatigue in my mind. And the Suns never took a day off. Like they left a lot on the court during this season, and we know they, they played. To. They played well into. They didn't have to. They did though, and they played well into July last year. Um, so. I am nervous about the Suns ultimately not reaching the potential where, you know, if, if, if you have, if you run this tournament in February, I think Suns run away with it probably pretty much, but the same, the team just doesn't have the same swagger right now. And it, I think it's related to fatigue, but I couldn't really tell you that with data and numbers. Um, and I don't ah, – shit, man. I don't know who wins the East out of any, – any of these four teams could win at this point. I think Philly's pretty clearly the fourth, likely. Um, but it still is uh, – um, it's going to come down to weird random stuff at this point. No, it's interesting Celtics, because, on. like,
2: the Heat, um, all season, they've been a very good second-half team. Like, Spolstra makes great adjustments at the half.
1: Absolutely And
2: true. if you look, like, in the third quarter of the entire playoffs, the Heat has covered every single spread. And then that's, the last two a, games, they've that's
1: the sole Spolster's thing going back like six years. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: the other one, the other big thing was always uh, fade co- fade the Lakers in the second quarter when Kobe Bryant played because he was the only person on the team, and then he would sit the entire second quarter. So he played first, third, fourth. There's like weird angles like that, which makes sense. But yeah, the Spolster thing, yeah. And then it's interesting because like they used to dominate the second half. And the last two fourth quarters, the 76ers have just been shutting them down. I'm like, oh geez, um, because like Heat second half is another thing that like I must have oh, bet like seventy geez. times this year, <laughs> and uh, it's been very profitable. But yeah, these last two games, I don't know what has happened to them in the fourth. They've just gone destroyed. It's like, what is happening?
1: Yeah, yeah. Fourth that was, fourth uh, quarters yeah, that was in it. general, it's been kind of yeah. weird in the playoffs. Yeah, That's the, the Suns right the Suns all season their characteristic was fourth quarter closing five, flip the switch D. And we will just make you take your worst shot, and it will it will clang, and we will rebound it, and we will put you away uh, when we feel like it. And they didn't do it against the Pelicans in Game Two, and I was like, hmm. And they didn't do it against the Pelicans in Game Four, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and uh, you know, if they don't do it against the Mavs in Game Five, it's going to be a big time sweat sweat show, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's wide freaking open. Even this game. God damn I don't even know who's going to win the Celtics. This yeah. Cuss cus cries. Bucks cus 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 by one.
2: Bucks by one. That's a,
1: But, yeah, because of what God, time Lord's that out. Doesn't, that doesn't help anyone. <laughs> I mean, it helps, it
0: helps the good folks in Milwaukee.
1: I guess. Yeah.
0: I have PTSD from that city anyway. I've never been to Milwaukee where I wasn't hungover. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just I just can't even think of that place. But, okay.
1: Um, right, well, good
0: yeah. yeah, that's it's going it's a good game. Tonight I'm not so sure if it will be. Hopefully maybe Steve Kerr's worth five points. I yeah. doubt it somehow. What uh
1: yeah, so what uh most important question maybe of all of them out there, what is your favorite abnormal distribution?
2: Oh uh, yes, uh we're really gonna have one, but uh, I think maybe if since we're talking about modeling, maybe one good takeaway, you know, uh since we talked about like basketball stuff, but like, for people who are interested for the modeling thing, I think the one thing to think about is like, what question are you trying to answer? And a lot of times, like the question you're trying to answer really influences your data analysis. So like, um, since, you know, Dan, let's get Dan some nuggets, producer, Dan, he loves F1. Um, also puts on a good F1 show on the same channel so you should watch it. Um, like if you're trying to model who wins the race, that's such a vague sort of thing that you're trying to measure a better question you might want to answer is like um what is the difference so let's say we're trying to say who's on poll a better question is like what is the difference between practice time and qualifying time right instead of like who wins qualifying because now you're trying to relate some data you have to some data that you're trying to solve and then trying to see like how that practice data can influence the qualifying data similarly if you're trying to figure out who wins the race how does the question is not who wins the race, it's like, how does this practice data help me understand how people perform in the race? And I think how you frame your data analysis questions really influences sort of like the approach you take in your analysis. And then also like what you're able to learn, the questions you're able to answer. Um, Cause like, it's so easy to just be like, oh, I wanna know who wins. But like, that's not the the right question, I think, in my opinion, I don't know if you guys- No, that ask. makes
1: total sense. Sorry,
0: that was we, we were looking for Maxwell Boltzmann distributions. So, uh, in, in, really incorrect, but laugh. you know, try it try again sometime. Yeah, sorry, um, I,
1: I'm not familiar with that one. Um, Maxwell also, Boltzmann distributions just use the log normal, don't yeah, be an it's, asshole.
0: That's yeah, much better,
1: right? Um, but uh, it's interesting because like some people, um,
2: I was reading someone's Twitter and he's talking about he's actually interesting, uh nascar person um but he doesn't like me so i'm not gonna say his name um but he was talking about like and what i do is i use a negative binomial distribution dot like all these weird distributions and like i read his thread about it and i was like that's really interesting i never thought of that approach before and it was funny because the first response was like so does that mean you like crafting to win the race and this guy like literally put like in-depth like (laughs) modeling knowledge that like could destroy a market on his twitter account <laughs> and the only response he got was like does that mean you like this person to win the race it's like oh my god like
1: winners would get the fuck out that's the way it goes on twitter yeah,
2: man picks, yeah
0: let get clicks guys
2: <laughs> yeah see meanwhile <laughs> this guy gave away like the key the sauce to his model for predicting lap slide i'm like thank you i'm just gonna take that uh <laughs> i've i've had
1: i've i've had that moment on twitter before i've absolutely <laughs> had that where it was or you know on pod you yeah know, we've 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 i think you inevitably run into that where you in it, you give away something very valuable. And the response is literally like, so who do I got? who? Who's so who's the pick? And it's like, I just taught you how to fish, motherfucker go fish
2: <laughs> it's like nope sorry just just tell me you know what bet. and then if you're wrong they'll disappear or make fun of you or something like that that's worth yeah, yeah. Trash it. all i know <laughs> is, yeah. i just
1: i just yeah. would like to get to the bottom of whatever in the world al horford did to his diet and exercise uh he must really love his home in boston where he gets to sleep in his bed because what a fucking game tonight oh my god
0: the al horford game
1: or the does Celtics he have a bed in Milwaukee? This game's in Milwaukee.
2: Yeah. Oh, so yeah, maybe it has gonna say. dual citizenship.
1: No, uh, interesting. But
2: it's interesting Citizens- how many people predicted yeah. the Celtics breakout. Like it's weird because like everyone's like they came out of nowhere, but like every podcast or every like host, I think I was listening to um Noop, right? He was talking about too. Like in December, Noops, yeah. everyone's like, the Celtics are gonna break out, the Celtics are gonna break out, the Celtics are gonna break out. And like I don't know what everyone saw, but like, hey, it worked out. Um I I didn't, on Christmas.
1: I didn't I see it at all until it was like staring you in the face and even yeah, then yeah, like, no one and then no one really bet it for I mean it didn't you know the market didn't really move for another two weeks I like. Lag. I did like how you made noops
0: sing you and <laughs> the, yeah, the, noop.
1: The, noop. the noop the noop noop knew. noop noop knew.
2: Um, he, he actually he also got John Morant most uh improved player too so congrats to me and him we cashed that one
0: Thanks. Oh god, yeah. yeah. Award yeah. season was good. job ja, between Ja and uh sixth man of the year and then Lakers to miss the playoffs. That wasn't an award, yeah. but it was an award for noobs.
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. not, the, not not to keep you any longer, but I'm just curious. Nope. Do you do you scrape an NBA all in one player level data from anywhere or have a preference in that, or do you make your own player yeah, level so evaluation? So
2: um no I'm You know, the DFS guys, they actually do really, really good. So um, if anyone's interested in NBA, like Dean Oliver wrote a book called Basketball on Paper, like Mm -hmm. in the late 90s, early 2000s. And like it was way ahead of its time. And like I think those people who do the DFS, they're really, really good at sort of predicting rate because NBA players are pretty consistent for the most part. I think the hardest thing to predict is minutes played. And, you know, like – that is the, the bane. And like you talked about, most people seem to be getting the edge by listening to coaches and trust them. And I feel like that's where it is, but I do take like ETR basketball data. Um, they're the only one I really look at cause they actually publish like their stats things and I try to see any discrepancies between them. Cause that one guy they have Andrew Wiggins, he's actually really smart with the basketball and really, really good. And I don't know why they would give away that data. Maybe they must make tons of money. So yeah, I don't know. Do you use any other people's stuff? And like, of course, there's like those random websites where like uh was a popcorn machine or something like that. Popcorn or?
0: machine, I popcorn know machine
1: much. is slick. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, for rotation. It's not it's it, it, that's not easy to scrape from.
0: Yeah, it's
1: a mess. Yeah, that's pop popcorn machine is literally like, I need to just check something. Like, it's, hey, I have a feeling what was a good goddamn, what was a good example? uh bulls was it the bulls started playing tristan who what team did tristan thompson end up on Cavs. a long was time ago. Was, Cavs? Cavs, yeah. was it this year it was the Cavs. i don't even know the end of the, the regular now. season feels like 10 years ago and it was like a month ago um there was yeah there were yeah, sometimes you'll watch a game or you'll you know you'll have a feeling of like holy crap that rotation was garbage like garbage. Like I'm sh- like that will not work. I can't imagine that has ever worked. Why is the coach even rolling that out? And you can flip popcorn machine up pretty quickly and find like the examples of when like certain guys were on the court together and just see for yourself. Like holy shit, they were in minus 10, were in minus ten. They were minus ten. They were minus twenty five. Like holy crap. Um, that's the only real use I have for that site. So the Darko is probably my favorite all-in-one of the NBA analytics uh, kind of player level stats um although he continually updates it so you got to be you got to be able to make that yourself effectively which is doable um as opposed to just entirely relying on scraping that and using that um and also the time decay is i disagree with how his approach to the time decay but that's fine we never did do um, that we have
0: one of these times we're going to do that episode
1: yeah Three i like that we've
0: tried to get into dark one drip and we, just <laughs> we need to talk, talk to somebody who
1: actually has gotten their hands dirty and doing it. yeah that. um the yeah drip i like drip a lot too i thought that was a pretty nice addition to the mix um nothing that they came up with or have up currently is especially egregious but you disagree with pretty much every every one of the nba player level models you'll find like a guy in a top 10 offense or defense and be like good lord like this is garbage if this is that wrong then what else is awful in here right um, and that's a little tricky and using there's a blend one, using a blend of all of them is probably the right way to do it that's my yeah opinion. there's one that
2: I have an auto scrape <laughs> because they have like a JSON file behind it I forget the website And I feel bad because like I'm literally stealing their data every day but they do a really good job with sort of um where people are sort of positioned under the rim during rebounds Ooh, Nice. so like it's a manual charting thing and it' sort of like lays out okay this these players tend to stand around here, or these players tend to stand around here. And it's one of those things like I've always wanted to evaluate further. That like, oh, if they're standing here and they're going against this person, maybe they're more likely to be, you know, not get the rebound because they're being blocked out and so forth. But it's like one of those, am I getting too deep things that like
1: that's is this gonna add 0.0000? Zero, zero,
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 1% uh
2: you know, accuracy to the model that's like
1: yeah.
0: But also, I've, if they're just going to put a JSON file, like you're kind of asking it's, to get scraped. I've, I've, nev- if, I've never, if it's something I've never I can scrape that stuff, then, then you're in trouble. But
1: that doesn't mean it's not there. Um, play, player level, going from a team level to a player level is like graduating from, you know, so that's like a college degree to a graduate degree. It's, a, <laughs> it's an enormous step in the right direction um yeah. and, and then you get
2: two new ones with like where are they standing on the court? What players are they running? You know, like
1: yeah, because a... because like um, you know, we ha- I've had this discussion a couple times with people, but like rebounding and offensive rebound in particular is is like it depends on the coach's kind of how he feels that day. Wait, we talked about it. <laughs> right? I
0: mean, we talked about this a week ago. Or. The coach. Sometimes you can grab that from coaches' quotes, like yeah, if or not even. But we're crashing the boards, you know. or Yeah, or just, they don't. Sometimes they don't it's a player's
1: talk quote. About it. Yeah, it, uh, some, and I, sometimes
0: I, you I, catch it secondhand from a player where, like, you know, the, the plan we're we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna be oh, we're more gonna fit- be aggressive. Th- there's we're those quotes. The they're not, not. They don't say like, we're hey, not. we're gonna try really hard to rebound, and we're gonna be more aggressive defensively in the paint. We're going to do, you know, just like uh, there's like code words for we've been
1: asked to really crash. It. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Maybe um, relate to that is
2: like how much do you untrust your model in situations where you qualitatively know something's bad? So, like, an example would be I think it was like 10 years ago, um, the Mavericks were heavy favorites to win the championship, and the Warriors bounced them around one as an eighth seed. And like, that is something that my model at the time showed no value. But like I knew the matchup was really really bad for the Mavericks, and a lot of people knew. Like I remember listening to part of the interruption, and Michael Wilbon was even talking about like this is a horrible matchup for the Mavericks, blah blah blah. So I just bet it because like <laughs> I thought this was a really bad match. Same thing. Like I had the um Grizzlies as massive favorites or the Timberwolves, but like I knew from watching basketball that like, this is a really bad matchup for them, and this is something like is not really captured quantitatively that like. They're not guarding the threes in the corner. They're not guarding the threes at like the you know certain spots, and that's where the Timberwolves are nailing all the threes. And it's like I can't model that minutia, but like I know it from following basketball. Like this is going to be a problem.
1: Yeah, that there's a lot. The the there is a there are. We could go on for another twenty minutes doing NBA <laughs> examples from the playoffs of exactly what you're describing. Um, yeah. I used to bet NBA regular season, hope to break even. And the reason I was doing it was to force myself to pay attention to the games so that when the playoffs rolled around, I would have some like knowledge base to lean on in terms of what coaches have what adjustments in their pockets and will those adjustments work or not? Because games four, five, six, and seven, that's usually what it comes down to.
0: And I would bet your NBA and hope to break even to. <laughs> to get through <laughs> rollover requirements because i love i love taking the bonuses <laughs> and that's all you need to do just break you yeah
1: yeah i think you even yeah. said something
2: like on the resetting the nba playoffs show you were talking about that like um i think they figured this out now right so like and i think the same thing like the grizzly is somewhere around game three or game four,
1: yeah switched their schemes
2: and they figured it out and now they were fine and of course they did the randomness of coming back by down by 10 in the fourth quarter a couple times but then like it seemed like they really made some adjustments that changed they weren't getting the open threes anymore
1: yeah no 100 uh there is a way to solve your opponent in any given playoff series in my opinion and a good coach can do it once and a good coach is an an inferior opponent makes it easier like like bucks Bulls, right like it took Budenholzer until game 3 to figure out how to defeat the Bolt like, you know, like yeah like that never <laughs> ever ever should have been a freaking 5 game series like the quality difference between those two teams was like top of the oh, yeah. lottery Caruso I mean he's a playoff god
2: yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah um
1: so so that yeah that was um that's an example but but once they figured you know once they solved them it was over um and similarly like um thought that that was where grizzlies warriors was trending but i think now that the Morantless offense is going to be different enough that the grizzlies could catch him snoozing today i think it's possible but in general i thought that the warriors defense solved the um you know solved the grizzlies offense to a degree um And they actually had a very good plan uh, in game one, even. uh, Or, you know, the tweaks they made at halftime in game one, I thought. I think the
2: other way, too, like a lot of narratives I heard today was that um, Robert Williams has been shutting down Giannis. So I spent like an hour looking and I like scanned through the games.
1: Were people saying that?
2: that's what I heard a couple of people say on Twitter, and I'm like, that seems wrong. Let me
1: check. Uh, I'm
0: uh, all the sure, stats like, I saw were the opposite.
1: <laughs> That's what I said too.
0: It was all over Twitter. The opposite. Was
1: no, I like, I thought uh, Robert Williams was having problems generating his own offense against Giannis defensively. To the two, I too it was it was imp- it was it was negatively impacting it. The Celtics were wasting offensive possessions, and they have completely solved that problem. By the way, tonight. Um, you know, Celtics well over their team total already, and uh, still a minute thirty left. Um, but the Celtics' best offense when the going gets tough is the two-man game with Tatum, and we've seen a lot more of that tonight than we have uh, in the last three games, which is bad news if you're a Bucks fan or Bucks ticket yeah. holder, or if you just hate listening to people from Boston. <laughs> <laughs> you, no. you got a problem. Although, yeah. you know what, I'm very excited to see. What answer? Let's assume that the Heat move on. Let's assume that the uh, Celtics move on.
0: Uh, I don't want to make any more
1: NBA assumptions. Does Yudoka have? I know. <laughs> does Yudoka <laughs> have? I'm, I'm just a congratulations on the Sixers and the Bucks for moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, yeah, do the, do the Celtics have a, 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 a... What is the plan for the Heat zone defense? Because I have never seen them answer that question. And nobody tried it on them. For whatever it was worth down the home True. stretch. True. Yeah.
0: We're at two hours. Are we gonna really get into the zone defense right now? <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying, like I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm dying to know. Like the, the Heat were the only team in the last half of the season that played it against them, and they, they worked like uh like magic. Um and yeah, I just I, I'm sure that Spolster will deploy it in the second half of those games, not all games, and I just I don't know that the Celtics have an answer for it. So I think the Heat can can get there if they can stay healthy or get better. have
0: the sun's heat exacta? I mean, those teams get their shit together.
1: Yeah. Ooh, Sounds to like you need to run hot.
0: Okay. You need to run hot like the, <laughs> <in> the sun. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, let's call it. It's been two hours. This was a fantastic yeah. conversation. Yeah, this was good. Um, Thank you so Be sure much. to, uh, be sure to track down your women's Japanese volleyball champions league winners in the golf slack on the rest.
0: Your women's um, volleyball's <laughs> touts, favorite volleyball tout.
1: yeah
2: hey we put up 50 units in like three weeks somehow i have no idea um, also surfing i mean if anyone's interested in surfing we're really deconstructing it there i have no idea how it works but uh now we just keep winning who knows why
1: yeah that's great man i love it well congratulations and uh appreciate uh uh, appreciate all your willingness to kind of go through this stuff i know uh um
0: and go singles
1: no to a a degree you may be you're educating you, you know, the guy that's going to come and pick your pocket in the women's volleyball market. So sorry about that. Joe, crossbook,
2: <laughs> let's do a million dollar head to head right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right,
1: well, let's call it. Let's yeah. call it, Todd. Good job, appreciate it. And uh, Dan, hit the music. Al Horford game, man. Tatum tried to just sneak in and steal it at the end by scoring. I was
0: going to just bet Giannis, like, points, rebounds, assists, and then the game had already started. It's an ah.